good to have you here on this Tuesday. Kevin, BJ, and Ben, so much to get to here on the show. We'll chat with Jay Cruz, dogshq.com. Also, Rich Styles of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show will join us. We'll talk about the Ryder Cup upcoming and more with him. Also, a little overreaction, underreaction. We'll have this week's Southern Power Pole presented by Bud Light for you coming up uh, as well a little bit later on the show. So, uh, plenty to get to in college football. Just news all over the place. Of course, yesterday, fellas, Clay Helton uh, fired. I guess he was on campus when they fired him. He didn't get the Elaine Kiffin, hey, don't even bother getting back on the plane treatment uh, from Southern Cal. And now one of the most talked about jobs in all of college football is now open. And obviously when you have a job of Southern Cal status, the rumors are going to run rampant. Who do you think might actually be a good candidate to take over there in Southern Cal where, again, you've got a lot of tradition, a lot of history of winning, a lot of high expectations, all right there in Los Angeles. Guys, I think this is a really dynamic situation. Uh, when you think about SC, you think about Southern Cal, of course, we're about 15 years removed from the Trojans being a modern college football dynasty with Matt Leinert and you know Reggie Bush and Pete Carroll, obviously a program that has an incredible history a program that's in L.A., you think about name, image, likeness, you think about the opportunities there. Uh, I think there's room for a national power to emerge, maybe alongside Oregon in the Pac-12. And this is a program that's a first reference program. If you go up to most fans and say, hey, name seven, eight college football programs, SC is going to be right there. And I think Clay Helton was given some time to make it work in L.A., was not able to do that, and the names being floated out there, uh, not only could could this be a high-profile hire, but I think the ripple effect you see could be pretty significant. And yesterday we had Matt Smith on from Southern Pigskin. He mentioned Mario Cristobal, who's done a really good job at Oregon. Of course, Oregon just beat Ohio State, but if you're going to get a current head coach, could that be a situation that has to wait until the next calendar year where you play out the remainder of your schedule. Uh, I know for, for, for our area, you've heard mentions of Urban Meyer. Would Urban Meyer be attracted to the SC job, and would he leave somewhere early in the tenure a pro job with the Jaguars? I think James Franklin at Penn State has been one of the, those guys always rumored. I think kind of the wild card that people have thrown out, Lane Kiffin, I don't know how real that is. Uh, but, Ben, this is a – Kevin, this is a big-time opening – and there's going to be a lot of drama around this, needless to say. Yeah, USC has been a very, 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 very long time since they've been relevant. Kind of in the same round with Miami, uh, BJ and Kevin, when you talk about the glory years, we're a long ways away from the glory years. But they are they are still a big brand. I mean, they've already – I mean, they're uh, – what uh, uh, not their AD, I mean, but uh, I think their commissioner has come out and said they still want to not be in this, uh, they don't want to be in the alliance. They want to still focus on what they're trying to do in the Pac-12. If you think about USC, BJ, Kevin, how far they've fallen, what, Stanford is better than them, UCLA is better than them, UW is better than them, U- Utah and Utah State, Arizona State. But it's still it's still a job that's very, very winnable. If you think about a big brand attached with a big-name coach and you start winning right away – they're going to be able to pay you what you want to pay you. And for that reason, for me, I know this is a name that's been floating out there, but don't think that he won't leave. Oklahoma is getting ready to go to the SEC here soon. They're not going to dominate in the SEC the way they did you know, in the Big 12. Lincoln Riley will go to USC because I think when you look at, you look at his track record, back-to-back number one overall picks, back-to-back Heismans, 
He's 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 proven that he can get whatever he asked for, and if he take that style of offense and. <clears throat> He could be the reason why big-time quarterbacks in, in California stay there. Bryce Young, California kid. JT Daniels, California kid. DJU, California kid. Clemson, Georgia. You know, uh, you know, I mean, you, you know, you got Clemson. You know, you got Georgia. You, and you looking at the fact that you got teams that's, you know, you got guys that's coming from, uh, you know, coming from California, not wanting to play uh, in, uh, you know, you know, out there in the Pac-12. So I think Lincoln Riley could be a shot. I mean, uh, you know, Cristobal, you know, Cristobal BJ is a good look, but I think that. Sometimes you you got to have a splash name. It's got to be a name that you say who he is, and you don't have to give his resume. I don't like when now you know Kevin when they hire somebody. Oh, listen, just just in case you don't know who this guy is, let me give you the track record. I know less about him since you told me who he is. You got to be a guy that's already established. I think Lincoln Riley would be. I mean, probably the best hire they could get when you talk about instant credibility. You know what he brings to the table. He could walk in any one of these. And it's about recruiting, right? He could walk in any one of these uh, kids' uh, living rooms, and he's going to snatch them. So I just I just think that USC doing it now means we get our pick of the litter. We're not going to wait till the end of the year when we got to deal with every other coach that's been fired at big-time schools. Let's fire the coach now. And I know Bill O'Brien, you know, uh, something Christian was talking about, he could be a big-time hire. I think it's everything, but it's a difference in being a, you know, being in college, leaving college and coming back because now you got to deal with NIL and now you got to deal with a different level of scrutiny. Lincoln Riley would be the home run pick for me because I think he's, look, replaced, replaced the legend at Oklahoma and they haven't dipped. But they but but the Big Twelve is about to well they told the Big Twelve bye bye hello SEC not gonna have the same level you know uh, of success in that program I think Lincoln Riley will probably be the guy that should probably get the first call. I mean, if you're Lincoln Riley, are you leaving Oklahoma? I mean, I know you're going into the SEC, but that's a high profile uh, gig. I mean, right now you're top five without even thinking about it. I mean, you are. Well, what's interesting, Kevin and Ben, is, is is we've heard the name Bob Stoops and, you know, former Oklahoma head coach Bob Stoops, and I, I, I don't know how real that is. I mean, he's not in coaching right now. A couple of years ago or, or back before the Norvell hire, I think he was rumored at, at, at Florida State, but would Bob Stoops, obviously he's a big name. I mean, he would be a immediate credibility kind of coach, but would Bob Stoops want to come back and take that on? I think, you know, current head coaches – and we were talking about this in the show meeting, you have to look at a timeline, and you have to look at, uh, Christian brought this up in the show meeting, it's a very good point, the early recruiting period, the signing period around the holidays, around Christmas, you want to make sure the majority of your class is signed by then, and then maybe you're just filling a few holes in February. So if you're looking at a Cristobal, or you're looking at a James Franklin, or you're looking you know, potentially at a name like Lincoln Riley or Lane Kiffin, is that something where you would have to roll with the interim and kind of hope the recruiting falls into place and then root for the, those teams to not have success and for their seasons to get done early? I mean, I think that would be kind of a tough thing. So when you look at uh, uh, Stoops or even Chris Peterson, former Washington and Boise State coach, names like those, they're not currently employed. And I think if you look at a Bill O'Brien or I think Joe Moorhead, the offensive coordinator at Oregon has been mentioned, those would be guys that I think it would be easier for them to leave their current roles and transition forward than a head coach making a switch from one job to another. No, BJ, because, I mean, you're talking from a place of loyalty. That does not exist in, in sports, period. I mean, I rem- I'm not going to even mention his name. I remember a coach coaching on Monday Night Football for my Atlanta Falcons, and the next day he was a head coach. All I'm saying is money talks. That At the end of the day, do I get the money that I want? 
that that's the very that, that that is the very first thing. Can you pay them? Yes, USC can pay them. Now Lincoln Riley is probably going to cost the most, but because of where he's coming from and his track record and his resume. But can you pay him? Yes. Bob Stoop is going to be more a facilitator. Like he don't want to. I don't think he wants to be. You know. You know. He gonna show up as far as recruiting, but he gonna get two rock star uh, coordinators and he gonna let them go out there and coach. You know, coach the offense and the defense. I think I think the younger the coach, the more energetic that coach is going to be to be able to go out there. The older the coach is, like a Bob Stoops, he would take the money, and obviously he, he's a, he's a splash. But I don't know I don't know if he has the energy for it. Like he's giving all the energy he can to Oklahoma. So USC USC is going to have their pick of the litter. I can respect why they're doing it right now, but. If you think that a coach won't just leave his school, these, these look, these coaches talk all that about building this and building that. They want to, they want to go to the team that's going, that's going to give them the best chance to win right away, that's going to give them the most money right now, and and put them in a position where they can go out there and get some of the best players. USC has all those things going for it right now. And again, until that gets filled, that's going to be widely speculated and rumored about who's going to take. Uh, that job. Some other news and notes. A couple of programs dealing with starting quarterback uh, hits. Boston College quarterback Phil Dracovic out for the season after having surgery on his right hand. That's a big blow for that team who was uh, really improved. Maybe they still will be, but it was expected to really take a big step forward here in 2021. And Texas A&M looks like they're going to be without Haynes King for up to four to seven weeks with what they are calling a crack in his lower leg. Sounds like a broken leg when you say it like that, but a crack in his lower leg going to be without Haynes King four to seven weeks. That certainly changes things for Texas A&M, who uh, didn't necessarily look to set the world on fire. Did come back and win with uh, Calzada quarterback, but uh, again, I don't know if that's what everybody's was thinking was going to lead them to a victory over Alabama. Yeah, you hate that for both young men and uh, both programs. Uh, Jerkovic has been talked about as a high draft pick, potentially. He's a Notre Dame transfer to Boston College from a couple of years ago and had some incredibly productive games last year and Jeff Halfley's debut. And you're right, Boston College, I know you talk about some of the other teams in the ACC. Boston College, expectations pretty high for this team in the preseason. Could they get to eight, nine, maybe even ten wins? That's a tough injury for the Eagles. Uh, he's a really good quarterback. And then with Texas A&M, uh, Haynes King, again, maybe he'll be back later in the season and, and give Zach Calzada credit. Came in, got the late touchdown, but – for an offense that was already struggling a little bit, that's that's another step back. And if I'm A&M, I know Jimbo Fisher's the kind of the quarterback whisperer, but if I'm Texas A&M, I'm looking at my running backs, Devin Achain and, and Isaiah Spiller. Isaiah Spiller caught the game winner against Colorado. I'm, I'm, I'm featuring those guys, but you hate to see injuries. Uh, of course, extended injuries early in the season, especially you hate to see it. I mean, this goes back to what I said yesterday about uh, you know, uh, you know, Stetson Bennett and his impact on the team. When you look at what he brings to the table, most teams, if you go to their backup, you're going to suffer significantly. A team like Georgia, they can keep right on track of everything they want to do postseason wise. Boston College is going to hurt. Texas A&M is going to hurt even more, BJ, because I understand that Texas A&M got their running back, but the quarterback keep everything in rhythm. He keeps you ahead of the chains, and they got a head coach, Jimbo Fisher, who not just got a contract extension this offseason, was talking trash to old Saint Nick, talking about what they're going to do. We're going to see. I mean, Kevin, we always talk about the, the most loved man on any on any campus is the backup quarterback until you got to get us there. We will see, 
But uh, good luck to both of the start, to the backups of both uh, Boston College and Special Texas A&M because it's going to be a long season. And finally, as we hit a little news and notes, uh, SEC fined Arkansas $100,000 for storming the field after beating Texas over the weekend. That is, of course, a league rule. If you storm the field or court, you get a fine. I'm sure Arkansas not worried about it here on a Monday, Tuesday after that big win. Yeah, I kind of don't understand it because it's not like, you know, when it's on the verge of happening, right? The field's about to be rushed. There's kind of this collective, wait a second, if we do this, we're going to get a substantial financial fine from the – no, it's going to happen. And I think when it happens, the key is obviously trying to keep everybody safe and, and, you know, protect who's on the field and kind of maintain order in the best way you can. But I don't think this is any kind of – rule or kind of regulation that's going to prevent it from happening and like you said i think arkansas more concerned with hey we had our best win in quite some time we have momentum uh, we're being talked about all over the country if we have to write a you know write a check okay that's ridiculous. I mean, they'll be fine. They're going to they're gonna go, they're gonna go to the fan base. They're going to go to the student body and say, hey, listen, give us $2.50 per student. They'll get back <laughs> up to that 100, that 100 grand real quick. Uh, you know, O'Halley, one of your alumni. Holler at old Jerry Jones. He'll, he'll shoot y'all a check for 100K. But they shout out to the Arkansas boys. I mean, NCAA, I mean, it's bad enough that y'all have no power left. Now y'all trying to get checks for people, I don't know, having fun. That's ridiculous. Yeah, look, and that is an SEC rule. But, again, it's what makes college athletics, I think, kind of special. I mean, you don't see fans – in the National Football League, rushing the field. Like, that's just not something they do. College, you get out there, hey, I'm celebrating with my teammates, with my classmates in some uh, situations on a big win, and uh, years, decades potentially of frustration, and some of those all led out with a, uh, you know, a glorious win there in, in Fayetteville. Man, I, I, I say go for it. I mean, you're, you're on one hand saying it just means more, and then when you do something like that, you're going to find the school. That like. A little bit of a counter message there, SEC. It just means more. No, it just costs more uh, is what uh, the new slogan is uh, at the end of the day. But, no, look, that is a league rule. I think it's kind of ridiculous. But, uh, again, at the end of the day, uh, I appreciate everybody that signed up for game day security. But if there's 100 of you and 80,000 of them, I guess, as BJ said, you just make sure nobody uh, falls and gets trampled, and, and, and that's your, doing your job at the end of the day. I think, again, most of it is all in good fun. You just hope it's done safely, and, again, that's what it will be at the end of the day. Jake Roos uh, will join us. We're talking dogs football with him next from dogshq.com here on 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you along here, 3 and Out. On this Tuesday, Kevin, BJ, and Ben, Georgia getting ready for South Carolina SEC opener coming up this weekend after a big win over UAB. And joining us here from DogsHQ.com, Jake Roos steps in here on 3 and Out. Jake, welcome. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Thank you guys for having me. Hey, appreciate you coming on. And I guess after uh, the performances of last week, what uh, does the quarterback situation look like ahead of South Carolina? You know, it still feels like it's uh, a little bit up in the air. I, I think that they're kind of uh, they're going to give JT his time uh, this week, uh, let him kind of go through everything non-contact. He looked pretty good to me on the uh, on the field on Saturday, throwing pregame. Um, you know, looked like he was feeling right. But uh, you know, I understand that they want to be cautious, and I think that they feel that uh, after that performance from Stetson Bennett last week, they've kind of got themselves a little bit of a leeway uh, when it comes to being able to um, uh, play that second guy not have to rush JT back. So, uh, overall, I think that uh, we will see him here before too long, uh, but uh, not totally sure it'll be this week or not just yet. Uh, could be another midweek decision as it was last. 
And Jake, just how impressive was Stetson Bennett? I mean, the numbers, first half, overall, just incredible. And how impressive has it been from from Stetson that whenever Georgia needs him, he's there? You know, you think about last year, came in, did a good job. You think about, uh, some were saying maybe Carson Beck was the backup. Stetson came in Saturday and tied some school records. Uh, talk about his kind of value to the University of Georgia. That's uh, huge. I mean, you know, Kirby Smart said as much after the game uh, that basically he said, uh, you know, nobody's been as good to the University of Georgia as Stetson Bennett has, and he's probably right. I mean, that kid's done everything that's ever been asked of him. Uh, you don't hear any complaints. You don't hear any uh, rumblings. Um, you know, he left, came back for the opportunity, uh, you know, uh, fought, fights his way into the starting job last year, loses it, uh, you know, but just kind of keeps his head down, keeps waiting on his opportunities. Uh, and, and it paid off. So uh, it just, yeah, you can't really underrate the value of Stetson Bennett. He's been, uh, you know, everything you would hope for uh, in a quarterback, uh, especially a backup quarterback. And, um, you know, Georgia's been really lucky to have him. I mean, Jake, I know it's only been two games. You understand that Georgia is a team that's just been known for running the football. But what do you make of this running game right now? I know I know you got a, you got a different guys playing on the offensive line. They haven't had a lot of time to kind of gel with each other. But how do you foresee this running game being more of a factor down the stretch? I think that, uh, you know, that's something Georgia's definitely going to dedicate attention to over the course of these next couple of games, certainly, is uh, trying to get that up and running, find a rhythm with those guys. You know, I think uh, you know, Clemson – you, you, you felt like was going to kind of sell out to stop the run. They did that. You know, they're a defense that can do both. Uh, they can really contain you in both ways. UAB kind of had to pick and choose their poison, so they opted to shut down the run game. They were pretty successful in doing so and didn't give up Georgia a lot there. However, that left them vulnerable where the pass game was, and Georgia took advantage of that and, and was able to uh, make a lot of noise with that on Saturday. So, uh, you know, I think that they're going to have to, uh, you know, give what – Get, get what teams give them, but at the same time, uh, you know, that's never a bad thing. And uh, I, I do expect, though, that the, the run game will find some momentum over the course of these next two games, for sure. Jake Roos, DogsHQ.com. Jordan is here on three and out. I guess that will be like the one criticism of, uh, of, of Georgia at this point, even though in the Clemson game, when they need to put the game away, the run game was there to, uh, to help salt the, the, the game away. Where is the weak spot, as you see it, on this Georgia team right now? You know, I think if there's one area for concern, you've got to be a little bit worried about Jackson Leslie. Uh, you know, it, he's missed two chip shot field goals already this year. Uh, luckily, they weren't decisive for you. Uh, but you have to know that, that at some point you're probably going to have to turn to a kicker to make a clutch kick, uh, whether that's stealing a game, gaining some momentum, you know, uh, tying things up at going into a half or something of that nature. You want to make sure that your kicking game's right right now. We've just got a little bit of an issue there. Luckily, like I said, I think these next two games, they've still got the ability to continue to work on those things. Uh, I think they can get it figured out. But at the same time, uh, that's got to be the area of concern as far as I'm looking at it. Georgia leads the nation in uh, total defense, scoring defense. I don't know how you move the football on this group. Could this be one of the best defenses we've seen? I know it's just been two games, but really in, in college football in quite some time. Yeah, why not? I mean, uh, you saw what they were able to do against Clemson, and uh, you know that those guys are talented. Look, I mean, the the Tigers are going to find their stride on offense. I have no doubt about that. Uh, you know, Dabo's going to get those guys ready. DJ and those boys are, uh, you know, some of the highest-rated recruits in the nation and, and guys who are going to play like that. So, uh, you know, Georgia, the way they were able to contain them, yes, it was the first game, and I do think that that matters. But at the same time, 
Uh, you've got to be optimistic about what you've seen from this unit for the first two games. Look, no defensive scores uh, between two games. Uh, that's a tough stretch for anybody to pull off. Uh, I, I think that you got to give them all the credit in the world, and it looks like the upside's there. I think for Georgia, the big thing, too, is the depth on that defense. Uh, you see not a lot of drop-off when those second and third guys come in. Uh, I think that's got to be what's really scary if you're trying to game plan against them. Jake, I saw that uh, you know Kirby Smart said that nobody can get comfortable on this team. When you watch this defense play, you talk about the second and third guys. Usually, when the when the second and third guys come on any unit, whether it's offense or defense, it's a drop in uh, production. How much because of Kirby Smart is watching every single play, coaching the last one like the first play, making so that that defense understands you got to earn every snap when you play for this defense. Yeah, no question about it. I, I couldn't agree more. I think that that's exactly what it is. Uh, you know, the, the the fact is. There are a lot of talented guys on that defense. There are a lot of guys hungry for opportunities. And you know, if you're not pulling your weight or you're getting out there and you're kind of half doing what it is, uh, you know, that's not going to play with Kirby Smart. He's not going to tolerate that, and he's going to make sure that he's going to get the guys in there who are giving full effort going full bore. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, that's a testament to him, but it's also a testament to these young men that it seems like they've responded incredibly well to that charge. Jake Roos, DogsHQ.com, joining us here on 3 and Out. Jake, what do you expect from South Carolina? I know on paper this looks like a, a team that Georgia should roll on, but this was uh, also a team a couple years ago that rolled into Athens and surprised Georgia with uh, a receiver playing quarterback. Yeah, yeah, I don't think that that one's uh, been forgotten too, too quickly. I think that uh, everybody's kind of looking at that game and, and circling it. Like you said, I mean, I think on, on the paper matchup, the tail of the tape says this one's all Georgia, but – you know, I think that what you want to see from them is what you saw last week. Essentially, you know, get up, you know, get up, get a lead, and then keep your foot on the gas. Put a team away. Uh, you know, I think that that's something that maybe uh, they were a little more conservative maybe in the past couple of years over with that. Uh, you know, I don't think that that's going to be the case this year. I really didn't think that they'd go as high as they did on UAB. Uh, but it looks like this team is committed to, you know, making sure that they get all their style points that they get everybody convinced that they're where that they are who they are, and uh, these are the kind of performances that you can expect out of them. Yeah, Jake, I wanted to ask you a follow up about that because it seemed like Georgia really embraced kind of the playoff or championship expectations in the preseason, and now I mean I think you can make a pretty strong argument Georgia's been the most impressive team in college football when you talk about beating Clemson and then, you know, 56-7 to seven over over UAB, is this a team that not only is playing with a championship kind of mindset week to week, but one that feels like that's the goal, that's the standard? Yeah, I, I think there's no question about it. You know, I think that when you get, like you said, the, that, kind of, that kind of mentality about it, you know, they're playing with that right now. Uh, and I think that that's something that they feel – they can maintain. They think that I think I believe they think they if they continue to play to their standard that that is a championship standard. I think that they feel they have those pieces in place. Um, you know, certainly it looks like defensively they're there. You saw you know with some huge steps forward for the offense last week. You know, it, everybody's looking like they're bought in. And like I said as well, uh, you know, it's a situation with these guys where uh, they're trying to uh, they're trying to find um, you know the best guys on the field. Every it's keeping everyone hungry, uh, and I think that that's a big part of uh, driving them to success. And Jake, finally, I know we talked about it earlier. I know JT Daniels been dealing with injuries coming out of USC even before he, you know, coming out in the transfer portal. He's dealing with injuries now. Is Stetson Bennett good enough 
to uh to take Georgia to the promised land. They might I, I don't know if they're gonna win or not, but it's it's that's been good enough to take Georgia where they're trying to go this season. That's a million dollar question for sure. Uh, you know, I think that if he plays like he did last week, yeah, he's got a really good shot of beating anybody. But at the same time, uh, you know, I think that uh, this is JT Daniels' team. And like you said, he's been banged up, gone through some injuries over the course of his career. But I think that they feel confident about giving him his time. He won that job fair and square over the course of the offseason. I think that that's been the plan all along. And I think that they do feel he gives them the best chance to win. So I don't think there's a quarterback controversy or anything of that nature brewing in Athens. But uh, can Stetson do it? Uh, I'll tell you this. If the wide receivers play like they did last week and uh, that defense is hitting, uh, it, it's going to be uh, – uh, it, it would be not something I would, I would want to bet against. I'll tell you that. Jake Roos, DogsHQ.com, our guest here on 3 and Out. Jake, really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Thank you, guys. And the Dogs have South Carolina coming up on Saturday, SEC opener for Kirby Smart and the Georgia Bulldogs. We'll come back. We'll take three next. Roddy Jones, late add to the show. ACC Network, former Georgia Tech running back, will join us top of our number two right here on 3 and Out. Good to have you along, 3 and Out, on this Tuesday. We'll hear from Roddy Jones coming up ACC Network, former Georgia Tech running back, top of next hour. Also, Rich Stiles, host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show, will join us next hour as well here on the show. So because of that, we'll move up take three to right now. So, gentlemen, let's take three here on three and out. Obviously, the Clay Helton news breaking yesterday afternoon. So Southern Cal in need of a new head football coach. But take one, does USC need a name football coach, a name brand football coach running that program? I think so because so much of so much of college football is about recruiting, and I think if you bring in a Bob Stoops or if you bring in, I mean Ben, you're talking about could you go get a Lincoln Riley or a James Franklin? If you bring in an Urban Meyer, that's something where you immediately become front page news. You immediately become one of the most talked about programs in the country, and I think that not only gets attention of uh, gets the attention of fans and media, but also recruits and. You think about SC, I mean, not that long ago, Pete Carroll, one of the biggest names in college football, superstars, winning championships. So uh, is it Urban Meyer? I mean, would you go from the National Football League to college football? Could you get Bob Stoops to come out of retirement? I think there are some names out there that every football fan, if the hire was made, will go, oh, okay, wow, we have to pay attention here. So it's SC, Ben, like you said, it's been about 15 years since you were consistently on that big stage around the country, yeah, I think you got to get a big name. Yeah, you got to get a big name because you got to go with the norm of college football. Every every big every big time school that's relevant has a big name coach. I mean, Alabama, Nick Saban. I mean, Kirby Smart, Georgia, Texas A&M, you know, Jimbo Fisher, Coach O, LSU. I mean, UCLA, Chip Kelly. I mean, that, that's the norm. You get Lincoln Riley, Oklahoma, give me a big name to go along with my big name school. I mean, if I got a big brand, guess what? I want a big name brand ambassador to go along with that school. I mean, I'm sorry, but thank God. If they would have told me, Kevin, you know, and BJ, you know, USC head coach got fired. Who is that? I mean, if I'm, I I did not know who the USC head coach is, and that's bad. It's bad, you know. You know, so I, I think you do have to get a big name just from perception because it looks like you're trying to go for it. Like, when UCLA first got Chip Kelly, now that I didn't think it, they didn't think it would take this long for them to start 
winning games. They thought, okay, get a big name to go along with our big name program. That brings us, you know, to being relevant again. Texas A&M, when they got Jimbo Fisher, BJ, that was a big name to go along with their big name program. So I do think you got to get a big name because I'm sorry, getting a guy that's, quote, up and coming is not going to work. Because they're going to be like, who? No, even if they've even if they've uh, even if they've earned it. So I do think big names are you know synonymous with big you know with big programs. That's usually how it goes. So yes, I think they're gonna have to get a big name because because before the winning on the field starts, at least the perception off the field is gonna have to come through a head coach. Yeah, it'll be interesting because again, like you said, when Clay Helton was brought on, not a not a big name necessarily around college football, and I think you're trying to get USC back to one of the premier programs in college football. I think it's going to have to be somebody that gets folks fired up and probably, as Ben said, more importantly, those recruits fired up at the end of the day. All right, moving on, take two. Trevor Lawrence, at least after one week, is up on Matt Ryan. Three touchdowns to zero. Will he finish with more touchdowns than Matt Ryan? No. And and listen, Matt Ryan, the offense for Atlanta did not look good. I mean, you did not score a touchdown. That about sums it up. Uh, but I still think Matt Ryan, MVP, has earned the benefit of the doubt. Maybe maybe a Hall, a Hall of Fame quarterback one day. I think you expect Kyle Pitts to be incredibly productive week to week. I think you uh, expect Calvin Ridley to do more than he did. It's going to take some time uh, with, with Arthur Smith and the new offense. But Matt Ryan's going to be Matt Ryan. And, and listen, I thought Trevor had some really good moments. I thought he had some really good moments. And there were drops, or his numbers probably would have been even better. But I think you also have to understand some of that production, if we're kind of comparing the stats for Ryan versus the stats for Lawrence, came when the game was very clearly over. And Jacksonville was still trying to kind of get some confidence for Lawrence, make the most of those repetitions, those opportunities. And you got a couple of touchdowns late that were essentially meaningless in terms of the outcome of the game. So I think Trevor's going to have some really good moments this season. I think he's going to throw some interceptions, but more touchdowns than Matt Ryan, even with a, you know, plus three lead here early. No, I no, that's not going to happen. I'm going to go with Noah as well. I think that Matty Ice is going to figure it out. I mean, he's uh, he's going to understand how to get the ball out to his playmakers. And if I'm being honest, I don't think Trevor Lawrence is going to make the whole season. Trevor Lawrence is running for his life. Trevor Lawrence was getting hit a lot. And Trevor Lawrence is trying to adjust to the game of football. The one thing Matty Ice understands is, hey, I understand how to make it. You know, uh, Matty Ice does not get hurt a lot. Say, he's is gonna- Matt Ryan making it the whole season? Matt, Matt, Matty Ice is making the whole season because, because I'm because I'm gonna tell you this. Matty Ice, I mean the one thing Matty Ice has has used to been having is is an okayish offensive line. It's been, His it's basic been, chalk outline became a meme on Monday. I mean, un, listen, listen. I'm not I'm not saying I'm not saying I'm not saying he's gonna be you know uh, you know uh, his full self at the end of the season, Kevin. He's gonna be scratching the clawing, but he, he he understands how to you know uh you know get the best you know uh, from his offensive line or lack thereof. I do think Matty Ice is going to end up having uh, more touchdowns at the end of the year. Only thing that scares me about Matty, I mean about Matty Ice in the offense is it's not that Atlanta does not be in the red zone. We thought that it was a problem with previous coordinators. No, new coordinator, same team, same problem. Get in the end zone. But, yes, I do think Matty Ice will end up having more touchdowns and pass at the end of the year than Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, we shall see. I, don't, I think based on the way their offensive line played, I, I think Matt Ryan might be questioning some things uh, here going into week two. And, you know, Arthur Smith sums it up very succinctly. We have to be better. Well, truer words have never been said there uh, about this Falcons team. All right, moving on. Take three. If Georgia loses to Zeb, Zeb, is it time to just shut it down? <laughs> That is a Christian question. 
not me, but obviously you're going up against a former, as of several weeks ago, grad assistant now playing quarterback. Who's also 2-0 and as the starting quarterback at South Carolina. Now, I know they scored one offensive touchdown on Saturday against against ECU. You had a you had a pick six. You had a Harper White with a couple of big, big, big kicks. But listen, you're 2-0. And uh, you mentioned it early, earlier in the show, right, Kevin? I mean, not that long ago to carry on Joyner, you know, playing quarterback, uh, coming in, win that game. Not a ton of experience at the quarterback position. Uh, so Georgia, South Carolina always gets a little, you know, you know, gets a little unique. Sometimes it's unpredictable, but I don't I don't think we see that on Saturday. I don't. This Georgia defense is just overwhelming. I mean, and South Carolina should be able to run the football better than we've seen them do so far this season. Still think Kevin Harris is as good as it gets. And, you know, Zeb Nolan uh, has, has made enough throws, you know, made enough plays to get into field goal position late. But there's a really big difference, needless to say, and doing it against East Carolina and doing it against Georgia, oh, by the way, at night between the hedges. So I think Georgia's defense, this is going to be another showcase. I mean, this is going to be another signature performance. I think points are going to be really hard to come by uh, for the Gamecocks. And I, look, Georgia, South Carolina has had some interesting moments. I do not think we see that this weekend. If Georgia, man, if Georgia loses to Zeb, no, no, it's – it's gonna be bl- something. Some something's gonna be blown up. It's gonna be bad. That is gonna be a press conference for the ages when it comes to Kirby Smart. Dog Nation gonna be out there in in masses. I mean, Kirby Smart might have to, you know, he might have to take the fam to an undisclosed location. It's not gonna be good. I don't think that's gonna happen. I don't. I, I don't think that's gonna happen at all. But that if factor, you know, that unpredictability factor is always, you know, uh, there when you talk about, you know, uh, college football. I don't think it's gonna happen, but. That would be something to see. Georgia loses? I mean, look, I'm going to just say this. I've grown quite fond of our producer of this show. And if that happens, we're going to have to find another producer. Not, not permanently, but for a couple of weeks. We're going to have to put out you here on a milk card. Can't find him. Where is he? <laughs> All, All right, I'm well, saying is this. If that happens, no, listen, Cam doesn't understand. Cam isn't engulfed in college football the way. He's not invested the way we are. We act as if we don't care when certain things happen. No, it's not that you lose. It's always been who you lose to. That is college football. Who did you lose to? Listen, my 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 uh my uh you know real my radio career got got you know it, it, it took shape after Georgia Georgia Southern beat my Florida Gators. I mean y'all guys didn't get a chance to see me. I mean my TV almost came off the wall. TV didn't do anything but provide me entertainment. But when they said upset alert, I'm like, Florida not going to do nothing stupid. So it's going to come down to, yes, if Zeb does it, we're going to have to we gonna have to all get in our cars and go look for, go look for Christian. It did happen. Yeah. I but know. I'm just saying. I mean, Adam, Adam Fisher commenting on Facebook saying, why are we even talking about it? It <laughs> it, it literally happened two years ago when Georgia was a huge favorite. And, no, they, no, 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 no. and they dirtied the bed no, sheets no, no, against no. South Carolina at home. But, Kevin, you see what Christian did? Like, Christian's in a random restaurant. Somebody's saying, that's not going to happen. Christian yells out. It happened two years ago. Who are you, sir? I'm waiting on my food, and I'm accurate. Yeah. All right, but we're talking about Christian might, you know, might have to take a break if that happens. I mean, Ben, you said multiple times that, that that you're retiring if Georgia wins the national championship. I mean, two weeks into this, they look pretty close. Is listen, that, listen, I'm, is I'm that, gonna I'm gonna say this. I'm I, look look because that, that I I say certain things. If I don't even, if Georgia wins it, 
right? If Georgia wins it, I'm gonna be the first to say congrats. Like, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say congrats. You know, it's 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 a it's a it's a. Look, I, I respect Georgia, man. I just I just. Adam Fisher just wrote back and said, "Hey, I love you guys, but no way. You just I will have you know, Adam, you just gave uh, you just gave you gave Christian a coronary, and he has now put all the blame." On you. I, I tend to agree with you, uh, Adam. I don't think any of us on the show think that's going to happen. But well, I'm not willing. No, I don't believe that. I, I think you overreact to stuff like that. It doesn't matter where you sit on the couch, any of that kind of stuff. <laughs> I'm just saying. It, well, then why are, you, why are you coming at me? I, I literally said, I, literally, I gave him a thing and said, look, it doesn't matter where you sit on the couch. And all of a sudden, like, well, your team sucks. I, I don't know what that has to do with where you sit on the couch. Well, there ain't no curses. There's wide open receivers running uh, go routes in the back of the end zone. That's it's not a curse. That's a play. <laughs> okay, but hold on. There's also saying. wide open receivers catching Hail Marys at the 20-yard line and then two defenders not <laughs> well, well, that, well, that, 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 that's not, That wouldn't be a Hail Mary. That would just be a nine route on the yeah. sideline and lack of effort by the, by the freaking DB. That's take three. We got more to come. Roddy Jones going to join us top of next hour as well. We're talking college football with him here on 3 and Out. It is three and out on this Tuesday. Glad to have you along. Talked a lot of Georgia football. We'll hear from Roddy Jones, ACC Network, coming up in a handful of minutes here. But uh, did you see what Shane Beamer said? Obviously, coaches are going to be complimentary of their opponents, BJ and Ben. We hear that every single week. Oh, they got to – I mean, even if you're playing an FCS team, oh, man, they got great skill players. They're talented. They're fast. I mean, and nobody's been a slow, unathletic Weak, non-physical football team in the history of coaching press conferences. But Shane Beamer said this is the most talented roster that Georgia has had ever. And it's not close. Do you agree with that assessment ahead of this game? I don't know that you can prove that or say that with with kind of great conviction right now because we're two, because we're two games we're two games into this thing. But do I think that, that that that's a rational, reasonable thing to say? Yes, I think we could very easily at the end of the season when we have more data uh, say that. But, I mean. Okay, Ben, you're looking at me like I'm like I'm nuts. Here. That's, Go ahead. That's, listen, that's, that's ridiculous. Like you know that's you know that's ridiculous, BJ. I'm sorry. Like that 2018 team. I'm sorry. Like they went to the Natty. They were in the national championship. You talk about you talk about Sony Michelle, Nick Chubb, DeAndre Swift. You talk about that offensive line. Forget that. In 2000, they had Kendrell Bell, a linebacker. They had they had uh, they had Quincy Carter at, at a quarterback. They had Marcus Stroud and Richard Seymour at defensive tackle. I love you, Jordan Davis. I love you. You are not Marcus Stroud. You are not Richard Seymour. I'm just saying we're we gonna judge him at the end of the year. But let's pump our brakes. But Shane Beamer, hey man, that that uh that, you know that warfare with the mind, man. You got to have it. He got to, he got to, now behind the scenes. He said, fellas, I'm going to say something at the press conference. I love y'all, but these boys good. And yes, George is ideal. They've been good for a long time. Newsflash, Captain Obvious. They are good, but the best we got to wait and see. I don't, I don't think it's that yet. Well, I don't think it's again. I think we say so. It's not just on wins losses, but just the straight talent on the roster. I mean, this is the culmination of two or three consecutive top three recruiting classes nationally. It, it is one of the deeper teams I think uh, Georgia has ever had uh, there in Athens. You got about 10 seconds, BJ. Well, and you added a couple of All-American transfers as well. I mean, I, look, I don't think it's unreasonable is all I'm saying. You'll listen to the argument in week two 
refute the argument. Stetson is better than Jake Fromm. <laughs> Just go ahead and say it. He's better than Jake. We'll refute the argument in week four if necessary. We've got more to come. Uh, Roddy Jones joins us when we return here on 3 and Out. Hit us up on Twitter at Pigskin Radio, at Pigskin Radio on ESPNCoastal.com. Hour two of three and out here on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin, BJ, and Ben, thanks for making us a part of your day. So much to get to here on the show. We'll get to the Bud Light Southern Power Poll coming up in about 30 minutes here on the program. But uh, joining us here, former Georgia Tech running back, now with the ACC Network, Roddy Jones joins us here on three and out. Roddy, welcome. How are you? Roddy, are you there? I believe we lost him. So uh, we will get back to uh, to Roddy Jones here momentarily. But uh, obviously wanted to ask him about the ACC and its start as a league where uh, obviously you've not had a lot of high-profile wins. Maybe the biggest one to date out of conference, BJ, is Pitt going into Knoxville and, and beating Tennessee. I mean, it's been a terrible start. It really has. And it- – from, from from kind of every aspect, right? Like if you look at Clemson as the clear, uh, you know, obvious headliner of the league, it's okay to lose to Georgia, but it's a little it's a little confusing when you don't don't score. And then you think about you think about Florida State, Jacksonville State. You think about Georgia Tech, Northern Illinois. You think about even uh, NC State not looking great at Mississippi State. It's been a it's been a disappointing start. Yeah, we have found Roddy Jones. He joins us here on Three and Out. Roddy, welcome to the show uh, again. Talk about the the ACC in the first couple of weeks here. Not necessarily. Oh, we lost him again. All right. Well, I guess we won't ask him about uh, what's happening there uh, with uh, the the ACC. But uh, you're right, uh, Ben. Uh, as BJ said, some out-of-conference games that you really got a chance to at least stabilize yourself, show you where you're at as a league, and just didn't go your way. Obviously, the latest being NC State at Mississippi State. It's about staying on schedule when I think about the ACC. And unfortunately for Clemson, people understand, people are seeing why it's hard uh, to be that you know uh, to be the top dog uh, you know in your conference. When when Clemson loses to Georgia, right, that kind of puts kind of puts more pressure on everybody. Nobody expected Miami to beat Alabama. You expected to be more competitive than what we saw, Kevin. But the thing about it is, it's a, it's a tale of two weeks. I mean, teams that came out that didn't look good in week one look good in week two. The problem was one of the teams that did not look good was Clemson. So we'll see. We'll see. Can they get back on track? as it pertains to the ACC as a whole. But, uh, yeah, just a tale of two different weeks. Let's try this again. Uh, Roddy Jones joining us here on 3 Now. Roddy, are you there? Yeah, I'm here, guys. Sorry. I don't know what's going on. Hey, that, it, it happens, but we're glad you're with us here on uh, 3 and Out. Just speak to what you've seen from the ACC here in the first couple of weeks, which is obviously from a league standpoint not been ideal. Oh, man, I think it's been a mixed bag. I mean, um you know, I think you have to sort of contextualize some of the stuff. Like, uh, obviously, Miami's performance against Alabama was not uh, ideal. It's not what the league would have liked. But um, it's the Miami performance against App State that I think is more damning for for uh, for Miami. You look at some of the other results, NC State going to Mississippi State losing that game. I mean, they had so many chances in the first half to really take control of that game, and they weren't able to do it. Um, so it's been a mixed bag, man. And look, let's not let's not just you know paint the ACC as that. It's been a mixed bag throughout college football. Um, you know, the Pac-12 has certainly had its ups and downs. The Big Ten has had its head scratchers, obviously, with the way Ohio State performed against Oregon. Although Oregon may be pretty good, best two defenders. Um, the, the SEC is really the one that probably comes out looking like it's the best league, but it's always will always look like that. So. 
So it's been a mixed bag for the ACC and certainly a mixed bag for just about everyone. Uh, you were on the call with, with Florida State, Jacksonville State, and that's a game not only did Florida State lose to an FCS team, but to lose like that, how did that happen, and, and what was that like, I mean, seeing it right there? Uh, it was unbelievable seeing it in person. Um, I, was, I was kind of in shock without the ability to, to really form thought. Uh, because it, it, it's, like you said, it's the way they lost. Like Jacksonville State hung around that game. And, and, you know, the thing that you try and do during a game is sort of contextualize what's going on, as well as, you know, breaking down the X's and O's. But, but in sort of the contextualization of it, I kept trying to sort of tell people that the longer Jacksonville State hangs in this game, the more likely we see something crazy that puts us in a result that Florida State's not going to like. Uh, and that's exactly what happened. Florida State was incredibly sloppy. They had um, you know, a few dropped touchdown passes, dropped passes that surely would have been touchdowns. Um, they had some opportunities down the red zone that they weren't able to convert on. And then late in the game, You've got a third and one as they're approaching midfield to really put the game away. I mean, Jacksonville State at that point had three timeouts. It would have been really tough for them to do anything if you get a first down on a third and one and you're not able to get it. So you punt the ball back to Jacksonville State, and then there's the decision to go uh, in some form of a man coverage. Uh, the coaches have said it was two-man, which would be two safeties over the top and coverage underneath. Um, I've gone back and watched that play at least six times. And it looks like two-man at the beginning of the play, but as soon as the ball snaps, one of the safety rolls down, one of the safeties sprints to the middle of the field. So it looks like man-free after the snap. And to be in that with six seconds left when Jacksonville State ties it with a field goal, wins it with a touchdown, I just think they kind of the coaching staff kind of took their eye off the ball there. The most important thing in that situation is do not allow a touchdown. And, you know, it's kind of like a basketball team who, uh, who's up by two playing defense, the only thing they can beat you is a three. You know, if they drive the hole and get a two, you live with it. Um, Florida State kind of lost sight of that. They gave up the three and ended up losing the game. Right, and how, how much of what happens with Jacksonville State and Florida State, I mean, it just comes down. I mean, obviously execution at the end of the game is, is one thing, but we want to separate, you know, FBS and FCS all the time, quote, big-time football versus not-so-big-time football. How much of it is just the fact that, you know, the talent level, yeah, at one school could be better, but that don't mean the play on the field going to be that much different. Yeah, look, I think a lot of what you're seeing across college football um, in terms of expectations and also some of these upsets is these, these – Rosters are so chock full of transfers uh, that it makes it hard for us as analysts to sort of figure out how these transfers are going to work at their new places. Um, Because in many cases, they're guys that we didn't see a lot of at their previous stops. Um, You look at at the ACC in particular, you know, two of the top 11 rushers in in the country are guys that started their career in the ACC. One of them, Mateo Durant, is still in the ACC. The other two, Kenneth Walker is at Michigan State and Chez Malusi is at Wisconsin. Uh, I don't think if through two weeks you'd have picked those two guys to be top 11 in the nation in rushing, but because they get the opportunity, you're seeing how, how they fit in a new system. So, so when it comes to that Jacksonville State game in particular, I mean, that play was a Clemson transfer throwing it to a Duke transfer to beat Florida State. So it's not like these guys weren't talented enough to play at a D1 level. They just didn't get that opportunity, or they didn't get opportunities at the place they were, they ended up at Jacksonville State, and something didn't go right D1. But when you're a D1 recruit, like, it, it, you may not be able to catch every ball, but you're capable of doing other stuff. Like, DeMontelio Johnson's as fast as anybody in the country. He just couldn't catch it, dude. 
and so he didn't get as many opportunities. Derek Cooper's a really good quarterback who wanted to play, and he's the all-time leading passer in Jacksonville State history. So I think that has something to do with it. Uh, you know, the, the transfers have sort of flattened, uh, flattened the world there. Roddy Jones joining us here on 3 and Out. Roddy, I want to ask about uh, your former team. Jeff Collins' crew suffered maybe one of the, the toughest losses in week number one to Northern Illinois. Caught a lot of people's attention as maybe a game they were expected to win and didn't with one of the toughest schedules in the country. Where do you feel Jeff Collins is right now in this rebuilding process? I mean, this is year three, a tough schedule. I know that's no excuse. You got Clemson this week. But where is he from from having a team that, that Georgia Tech fans expect him to have, I guess? Oh, man, this is a, it's a great question, and this is a terrible radio answer, but I don't know, to be honest <laughs> with you. You know, there was, there was a lot of optimism coming into the season that this team would be better, and maybe it wouldn't show up as much in the win column, but I think there was sort of a certainty that you were going to win your non-conference games, uh, at least the first two non-conference games, and then you were, you know, hoping to knock off a couple teams in the league and end up as a four- or five-win team. Um, now, after they're losing to Northern Illinois, you look at that schedule coming up. Boston College certainly looks more gettable now that we think Soldier Kovic's going to be out for an extended period of time and maybe the entire season. But the rest of that schedule, like, where are the wins? So I don't know. You know, I, I have people calling and texting me asking, hey, are we going to be a one win team at the end of the year? And my answer is no. But it's hard to see a path to like five at this point. Um, so if this from here on out, you know, goes what they got ten games left. If they go three and seven, and they end up as a four-win team, then I think that's a that's a positive season. If they do better than that, then that's great. Um, but the talent level is better. The question that I have: you still have a lot of Johnson era recruit, Johnson era players playing. So where are these four and five star guys? Four star guys, really, three and four star guys that he's recruited. Why haven't they been developed enough to be playing significant time? I don't know the answer to that, but but we'll see. They've had sort of an inexcusable loss each of the first three years of Jeff Collins' tenure. Roddy Jones uh, joining us here. Roddy, you're going to be all over the country here uh, this week. I believe, what, uh, Louisiana on Thursday, then up in uh, the Carolinas on Saturday. Where can folks find you this weekend and uh, really this week uh, talking college football? Yeah, so I've got that Louisiana uh, Louisiana game, Louisiana versus uh, Ohio on Thursday. That's an eight o'clock game on ESPN, and then and then on Saturday uh, uh, I've got Northwestern at Duke. That's a four o'clock game on ACC Network. So I'm doing the doing the Louisiana game from Bristol. So I'm not going into the hurricane to do that, but or the tropical storm. Um, so I'll avoid the weather. But yeah, all over the place this weekend. Roddy Jones, our guest here on Three and Out. Roddy, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Yeah, appreciate you having me. Appreciate you having me, guys. Appreciate it. Roddy Jones uh, joining us, former Georgia Tech running back, now with uh, ESPN and the ACC Network. As you said, uh, he'll be on the call with uh, Ohio and Louisiana, the Northwestern Duke on ACC Network on Saturday. But, again, he kind of says, look, everybody uh, has their ups and downs as a conference. I think, again, when it becomes a talking point about your conference, that's sometimes hard to overcome. I kind of look at what – the Pac-12 has dealt with the last couple of years, uh, BJ, and you say, well, you can't have a contender. And then that kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. I think the ACC's had that for a couple of years as well with Florida State sliding down, Miami inconsistent, and nobody else really stepping up to that 9-10 win uh, kind of platform every single year. It's been kind of a self-fulfilling talking point for the ACC there, and certainly you come out and lay an egg for the most part as a conference in week one, and it just picks right up. 
Yeah, and it's been very disappointing from kind of every angle, right? I mean, Clemson is is the clear headliner in the league, and as we were saying a couple of minutes ago, it's not just that they lose to Georgia, it's that you lose and you don't score. You don't score a touchdown. I mean, that's that's kind of alarming, even for a program that clearly has earned the benefit of the doubt. And then you look at the other kind of name-brand programs in the league, you know, talking about Florida State, talking about Miami, uh, if you want to say North Carolina, uh, Georgia Tech even, you know, a, a, a name program, that loss to Northern Illinois that Roddy was talking about. But I do think Miami is the team that I wouldn't quite turn the page on. I know a lot of people were, were I guess, underwhelmed by what they did against Appalachian State. And I get that. But to me, to come off of a opener against Alabama, and we've seen what Alabama does to teams, they don't only beat you. They kind of beat you so soundly that it takes a couple of weeks to bounce back from that. To lose to Alabama and then beat Appalachian State, it wasn't always pretty, but you found a way to beat a very good Appalachian State team. And to do that in between an opener with Alabama and a week three game against Michigan State, I think that was actually fairly impressive. And if Miami can come back, big if, but if they beat Michigan State this weekend, that's a big out-of-conference win for the ACC. And then Miami went 2-1 and one in a stretch against three, you know, the number one team in the country. And App State and Michigan State are probably, you know, kind of fringe top 25 teams. So I wouldn't quite turn the page on Miami yet. But, yeah, NC State, very disappointing. Florida State, historically disappointing. Georgia Tech, disappointing. But I would keep an eye on Miami. No one's going to really, really uh, worry about it too much, BJ, because this is, it is – I mean, it's bad. But the second game of the season, you still got the rest of the season to go. But you always, you got you got to know you're always getting judged individually and collectively all at the same time when you talk about a conference. It's, you know, uh, listen, a great man in this office once told another great man in this office, and who are y'all playing? It comes down to who you're playing and how you looked when you were playing them. They still got a lot of time to go. But sometimes when you start looking – when you start talking about the postseason in the, in the, in the preseason, season sometimes that pressure just mounts well I, I do agree that Miami's is going to be a good team but I think UNC still got a chance to be good but that old Sam Howell he'll throw it to the other team as much as he throw it to his own team we'll come back we'll uh, switch gears we'll talk to our uh, own Rich Styles of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show Ryder Cup on the horizon we'll talk to, talk to him about that when we return here on three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network Good to have you back here on 3 and Out, Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Uh, we are joined in studio. What a treat. Whoa. Uh, yes, what a treat uh, by Rich Stiles, host of the Back Nine Boys uh, Golf Show. And, again, Rich, you and I were just talking, like, as the clubhouse turns here on the PGA Tour, it's like the, the season is over. Somebody got 15 million bucks. We go to the Ryder Cup. That's supposed to be, like, the easy thing, right? And it's like, who doesn't like who and who can't play with somebody else because they got so much beef, they, I, like, I can't even look at you. Uh, kind of thing. So, uh, if, so you're, if you're if you're Steve Stricker, like, what are you doing right now? Because you actively had a season long thing going on with Bryson and Brooks Kepka, where it's like, don't even make me look at him, and just if if we're paired together, it's going to be a problem. Well, it is. And remember, several years ago, when we had Tiger and Phil paired together, everybody thought that was going to be cool and it was going to be nice, and they would be able to get along. They bombed. I mean, yeah. they did not play well together. And I think you're going to have the same thing if, which I doubt it'll happen, Bryson and Brooks do get paired up together. I think the key point for Stricker is who is he going to be able to put Bryson with that is going to cause less controversy and drama? And there are some players on the team that I think could do that. Justin Thomas could be one. Patrick Cantley could be another. However, 
there are there doesn't need to be drama at this time of the year. Right. And again, I think it's just kind of interesting where, you know, we talk about, you know, football and basketball a lot on the show and there's such team sports where it's like you don't have to like everybody, but you have to be able to get along and work towards a common goal. Right. Where in golf, most of the time that's not the case. You're like, I'm out here to shoot my score and you stay over there, you know, right. and, and so especially if I don't like you and, right. and, to, and, and then you try to bring together a team event and it seems like counter to golf's nature of, all right, so now we're going to be buddy, buddy and play together, uh, you know, and it's kind of not that's not how you play golf. You don't necessarily have to rely on somebody else uh, to uh, to help you out. But I mean, it's not I know it's Brooks and Bryson have been a thing, but you have said, look. There's several guys. Bryson DeChambeau has not just rubbed one guy the wrong way. He's rubbed several guys the wrong way. Patrick Reed rubs people the wrong way. He didn't make the team, but he's nope. out there, as, as Christian was saying during the break, yep. you know, liking people, being critical of Steve Stricker. So it's like you're actively supporting people who are critical of the guy who was playing a huge role in whether you were on the team or not in the first place, and that's supposed to endear you to guys on the tour. I mean, this is really kind of uh, intriguing stuff here. It is, and I think what you're going to find is Stricker is going to, you know, call on his vice captains and several of the team members who he has respect for, which probably is most of them, uh, and talk to them about what is the best pairing. Because, you know, they do alternate shot. So if somebody hits a bad shot, Patrick Reed would probably go off on him. I mean, how do you expect me to play from here? And, you know, Bryson would probably would be, always want to be the one with the driver. Yeah, and I would be not going to happen. I would be incensed, I think, if I played with with uh, with Bryson, if I was a professional golfer, because like you said, hey, I'm just going to go for it. What, what do you mean you're going to go for it? This is a yeah. 470 yard hole. I'm just yeah. going to let it rip, brother. Yeah. What? No, like I have to have wherever this right. thing lands right. as a shot. And, and again, I, I think that's probably another reason where like his style of play of, hey, I'm just going to grip it and rip it, and you figure it out wherever it lands, well, and I don't see, think it would sit very well with people. And that's the key. I mean, Bryson is going to play that way, grip it and rip it, no matter what it is. I mean, he'll hit an 8-iron 200 yards, and he'll want it, the player he's playing with put me in a good position. Yeah. Well, talk about putting more pressure on somebody. <laughs> yeah. When you play alternate shot, you play best ball, you play team golf, Bryson's not known for being a team player. Patrick Reed... Captain America, a lot of drama. But the point is, is that this is not when you want to have drama. That's why for several years we've always heard that the European team was better as a team than the U.S. team, and it showed up because they've won in recent years more often. Right. No. Uh, no. I don't. I can't even stand to look at him. Uh, right. Kind of stuff. I mean, right. And again, that's a that's a tough spot to be in when you have to sit there and play four or five hours with somebody that not only do you not like, you just Flat out the test. Well, I would imagine that's like, Kevin, and here's the point. I don't want to fly with you on right. your private plane because I have my own. Right. So, <laughs> I mean, all these guys, they're going to have 12 private jets yeah. flying into Whistling Straits. Yeah. Because I, they don't want to be with each other. Yeah, it's great. And that's I don't, not how you really build a team. Right, but I, exactly. I, wanted to, uh, I wanted to ask you quickly, though, Rich, about Patrick Cantlay. Uh, he won the $15 million there at uh, Eastlake, the FedEx Cup yep. champion. A, uh, a guy that kind of came along. Uh, here this season uh, was the number one amateur player in the world as a uh, as a young man. I mean, he's only I think twenty nine, so he's still a young man. But yeah, uh, I have you know, clothes was, yes, older than twenty nine. <laughs> yes, was out of golf for three years because of a back injury. Then some people said maybe not play, and now here he is, player of the year, FedEx Cup champion, and obviously looking at a Ryder Cup selection, you know, on top of that. Yeah, I mean, you you got to give him a lot of credit. I mean, he played incredible throughout the year with four wins. 
And then he comes up, and his fourth win being the Tour Championship. He wins the BMW, his third win. I talked to John Wood, who was Matt Kuchar's caddy for years, and he's going to be at the Ryder Cup announcing. And he was saying he was so impressed with this kid on the 18th hole. Here he is, one shot ahead. He hits a driver, hits a six iron on the green, and the difference between first and second in the FedEx Cup was $10 million. <laughs> yes, a lot. I mean, it's yeah, not yeah. like it's pocket change. Right. And so here he is. It's, he hits a six iron hits two more shots, and he wins $15 million in his whole career. He's only won 14.8 only, oh, yes, yeah. million. We could all be so unfortunate. That's right. <laughs> I mean, so it's, it, he played incredible, and his putting was incredible at the BMW. His stamina and his mental game reminded some of Tiger because of the way that he played, and he did not get out of sorts at any time yeah and again uh, we'll see if he kind of has staying power uh as he said or, or is it one of these guys that steps up has a big moment right and then you kind of see him fall back into the pack so i don't think that'll happen well rich what do you got coming up uh this weekend well actually this weekend i'm going to be at uh, lake Oconee. And uh, bridgestone has invited 24 players i'm not one of them to <laughs> test their newer tour ball to see how they like the way it plays. So it's going to be kind of interesting. We're going to have a tour of the Bridgestone plan on Friday, and then Saturday we'll do the show from Reynolds Lake Oconee. Uh, it's a tough assignment. I, yes. I decided to, to take it, um, and uh, <laughs> I'm just going to, you know, just wallow in yeah. all the things that happen there, uh, but that's what's going on. We'll be talking with some of the folks from Bridgestone about the new ball and about other things that are going on with I th- them. I think with my game, it would be how exactly is the ricochet force off the tree? Does he get extra ping off the cart path? Which ball how is deep- best for that? That's <laughs> yeah, what you're... Yes. And, 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 quite frankly, we'll probably talk a lot about Bryson. Yeah. I mean, is he hard to get along with? Is he difficult? I mean, because of how scientific he is and how he slows down the game, as Harris English, unfortunately, found out. So... It, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, there's a lot coming up. Look forward to that with Rich Saturday morning, 8 a.m. Rich, we appreciate it. We'll come back with more Three and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Two weeks down of college football as we enter week three of the college football season. And each week, southernpigskin.com, we put out our Bud Light Southern Power Poll. Obviously, some movers and shakers in there. The top looks pretty similar. Uh, BJ and Ben with the Alabama, Georgia, Clemson. I guess the question here is a couple of weeks in. Is it Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, and how big is that gap down to the the next teams, which in the Bud Light Southern Power Poll would be Florida and Texas A&M? Great question. And, yeah, the Bud Light Southern Power Poll, we we, we all ranked the SEC, the ACC, and the Sun Belt, uh, the top teams, and uh, put all of our individual polls in and then average it out. And, yeah, I mean, the way it turned out this week is, of course, as you mentioned, Kevin, Alabama, Georgia, and Clemson, one, two, three. Who's the number four? And for our for our poll, it, it, it turned out to be Florida. And when you look at Florida and Texas A&M, who, who might be in that tier two right now, uh, Texas A&M did not look great. You know, you have the injury to Haynes King, but offensively overall, you were not able to do much at all against Colorado, who probably isn't a top-tier Pac-12 team. And I think Florida Florida's a really fascinating team right now, coming in at number four, because defensively they're, they're, they're good. Defensively, Florida is strong. You have balance. You have uh, great secondary play. You have pass rushers. The linebackers are really good. And then offensively, I think there's a lot more here than people appreciate. 
first and foremost, the offensive line is considerably better. And Ben, as you know, that's been an issue for the Gators for a couple of years. Uh, I think Jacob Copeland is a true number one receiver out wide. You have three or four guys who can run the rock. And then this quarterback situation with Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson, uh, I think you have two quality guys. And look, I'm not trying to overlook Emory Jones, but Ben, Richardson has been one of the most dynamic players in the country. Uh, some people may look at Florida and go, wait, that's the best team in the in the South after you know Alabama and, 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 and Georgia and Clemson. And, and to me, it is. I mean, I, I don't know what we're going to see this weekend, Ben, but I think Florida has exceeded expectations thus far. Florida has Florida has been in the same position the last three years with it when, when we talking when we talking about uh you know uh, the Southern Power Pole but I mean BJ yes I mean when you think about what uh, Anthony Richardson brings to the table he is very very intriguing the curious case of, of Emory Jones continues to be that I just I just can't can't put a finger on it for those people that say you can't win in a two quarterback system I would say uh, yes you can Dan Mullen did that when he when he was the offensive coordinator you know uh you know at Florida you know having a two quarterback system with Tim with Tim Tebow and Chris Leak. Florida Florida is always going to be that team like, you know, uh good enough to beat anybody on their schedule but make you nervous about anybody they play uh that 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 doesn't that uh that meets the talent threshold. We're going to learn a lot about Florida obviously this week with Alabama, but BJ, I mean, going into this season, we know like if we would have just said, "All right, we haven't seen any games." Who was going to be your top 3? It was going to be Alabama, Georgia, and Clemson in some way shape or form. Clemson just happened to be number 3 because they went head to head against Georgia. Florida, Florida is is going to be that team that's always trying to make sure they play up to up to competition because they might not have the players as far as like you know talent wise. Texas A and M, I mean BJ, they got the, they got the players. They're gonna have to deal with the injury bug right now to see how well of a team they are. But I, I just I just think that for me, a team that's on this list that's not being talked about enough is Auburn. Because let's face it, new coach, new coordinators, new scheme. Scored 60 points the last two games. Now, I know it's easy to say look who they played after they played them, but Bo Nix is the only guy on this team that's 1-1 one one against Alabama. Uh, Ole Miss has to beat Alabama. Texas A&M has to beat Alabama. Florida has to beat Alabama. LSU beat Alabama in 2019, and then when you look at how balanced they are right now, I know they – I know they ain't went up against no world beaters the first two games of the year, but you got to give credit where credit is due. Yep. Bo Nix has been efficient with the football, and they're trying to and they're trying to find a way to run the football. And then obviously the, some newcomers this week, Kentucky and Arkansas, based on how they've played, find themselves into the uh, the, the top of the poll here. And again, this is a week to week thing, uh, BJ. But I think uh, Auburn has looked impressive. I don't think we've seen them play an impressive team, but they have looked impressive. Arkansas, what a win they got over Texas. And Kentucky, with their solid play, I think has opened a few eyes early uh, here in the season uh, to say maybe they are better than people are giving them credit for. And by saying that doesn't mean, oh, they're winning the East, but maybe they are better than people are giving them credit for. Yeah, and in the Bud Light Southern Power Poll, the biggest jump this week, as you mentioned, Arkansas. And I don't know if, if there was a great consensus around the Razorbacks for expectations, at least being at a high level in the preseason. You know, I think people expected Arkansas to take a step forward, but the, the, the schedule, as it still is, just very, very difficult. And, of course, the Razorbacks have Georgia Southern on Saturday. But you look at what they did to Texas. They didn't just beat Texas. They overwhelmed Texas. They did so – Physically, athletically, uh, in terms of the momentum, in terms of the consistency. I mean, they won every aspect of the game, and I think it's been really impressive to watch Arkansas kind of find an identity. And, and offensively, they really run the football well. As a team, they're averaging almost six and a half uh, yards per carry. 
their opponent, by the way, averaging about two and a half. So absolutely dominating a couple of weeks through running the football. Uh, you have Traylon Smith, who's been really good running the ball. You have Raheem Sanders, the young uh, young freshman running back. And then you think about K.J. Jefferson, the quarterback, who's made some big throws, also has some big runs as well. I think Arkansas likes to play physical. Defensively, you know the names, Grant Morgan and Bumper Pool and Jalen Catalan. Uh, Sam Pittman's done a great job. And then very impressed with Kentucky. I said this uh, yesterday. I, I, I picked Missouri. I thought Missouri was going to win that game. Kentucky not only has emerged as a as a good team this season as we as, as, as we thought they would be, but we've seen this team become a program over the last couple of years. And to set the stage now, Ben, you look ahead a couple of weeks. The Gators have Kentucky. That's in Lexington. You have a big win against Missouri. You have a quarterback in Will Levis. You have a running back in Chris Rodriguez Jr. Defensively under Coach Stoops, you've been really good. This Kentucky team has a chance to move up in this poll and uh, be a team to watch in the SEC. Arkansas, I give them a lot, a lot of credit. They got so sick of hearing about Texas coming over to the SEC. They was like, well, y'all ain't in the SEC now, and we're going to give y'all a welcome to SEC moment. And Kevin and BJ, something we talk about, a long history of Arkansas and Texas playing each other. What, played each other, I think, in the 1800s. They played a long, been playing a long time. But give Sam Pittman a lot of credit. Sam Pittman understands that, look, while I know it's going to be an uphill battle in the SEC West, and I know we playing a team like Texas out of conference, we're not losing to them. That says a lot about the mentality of Arkansas saying, I don't care Texas is a brand, but their brand of football doesn't doesn't bode well with what Arkansas wants to do. Kentucky BJ, I do agree. Will Levis has been really, really impressive. You got a passing game to go along with a run game, an offensive line, and a defense that is going to play scrappy. But I know we haven't got to them yet, but I'm, every week I'm going to say the team to put some respect <laughs> on their name is Virginia Tech. We are treating Virginia Tech like they're not 2-0, like they did not beat UNC. And if it was the other way around, Kevin, right now Virginia Tech is not, you know, uh, ACCing itself at right. this point. They are, they are getting it done. I mean, that stadium was packed uh, week one. But, yeah, I give Virginia Tech uh, just as much credit as if I'm giving Kentucky and Arkansas right now. Which team do you think uh, here is most fraudulent in the uh, – I hate using that term, but that seems like uh, whenever, a team, whenever a team loses, it's, oh, they were a fraud. But uh, which team do you feel like is maybe running a little higher than where they're really at? I think Auburn might be one for me. Uh, we'll find out more when they play Penn State this weekend. But uh, who do you think is kind of living off some early season uh, good vibes from, from maybe a soft schedule? Yeah, I mean, there are a couple of teams. I think you could look at Auburn, and I'm like you. I don't, I don't really like that word. I mean, teams are playing who they're playing, and, and Auburn leads the nation in scoring right now. I mean, so if you want to say, well, Auburn haven't played anybody, well – they're doing anything and and everything offensively that you can possibly do. I mean, what, 60-plus in week one, 60-plus in week two? Uh, uh, you've seen Tank Bigsby. You mentioned Bo Nix. I mean, Tank Bigsby, wide receivers. Demetrius Robertson's been been a big-time playmaker. Uh, I think, you know, maybe Ole Miss, maybe. Uh, and, and, and they have an interesting game this weekend because they play Tulane. And at first glance, you may say, oh, Ole Miss, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll roll Tulane. Well, Tulane was a, a stumble away at the end of the game from having Oklahoma on the ropes. I mean, Tulane scored, what, 35 against Oklahoma? Uh, and Oklahoma won last week like 70 to nothing or something. So what, what, what Tulane with Coach Fritz did against Oklahoma, I think that has your attention. Uh, I think, you know, it, it's hard to get a feel for teams early in the season because on the other side – I, I think people are sleeping on Coastal Carolina a little bit. Uh, still, I, I think Coastal Carolina is one of those programs that's earned the benefit of the doubt. But to your point yeah, about the schedule, soft. On the, right, on the opposite end of the schedule argument, you know, whereas you might look at a team 
you know, that, that, that doesn't have a great record and say, well, they played a tough schedule. I think Coastal Carolina is going to have a hard time not only where we are now, but even throughout the duration of the season, getting people to fully appreciate what they do because Kansas is one of your showcase games and they're terrible. And, and, and granted, you beat them by four touchdowns, but this weekend you play Buffalo on the road. You do have some tough Sunbelt contests, but I think I think Coastal Carolina is one of those teams where it's hard to get a feel for. But to go back to your question, uh, you know, maybe Auburn, maybe Ole Miss. For me, it's Texas A&M. I mean, and not because – I mean, obviously they scratched and clawed to get their second win of the season, got bailed out a little bit by – uh, you know, uh, their defense didn't have the best game, didn't have the best game in uh, week one, but because they got to deal with Andrew Haynes King is going to be out for a while. A, a crack. I, listen, I, I've never heard he, what's wrong with it? he got a crack in his leg, like his <laughs> leg is opened up like a crack. So for me, BJ, I think it's going to be Texas A&M. That schedule wasn't going to be – I mean, the meats and potatoes of that schedule is only going to get rough with LSU, you know, obviously, you know, uh, Auburn and, and Alabama coming. But the fact that you're going to do it, be doing it with your backup now, I, with, your, with your starter, really not being efficient with the football, to me, I mean, I'm not going to call them fraudulent. But, I mean, fragile, yes. I, th- I, th- I, think, I think they're going to show their true colors here coming up here real soon, especially when they uh, – with old Jimbo Fisher writing a lot of checks to, uh, to old St. Nick and Tuscaloosa. Yeah, we've got a lot more to get to uh, there. We'll look at week two of the National Football League. We'll, are we overre- overreacting, underreacting to certain things around the football world? We'll get to that. And obviously a big game in the SEC this weekend, Alabama at Florida. We'll get to that coming up in the final hour of the program. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here on Three and Out, Kevin, BJ, and Ben. Christian saved you, Ben. I was, I was ready to sell hey, you, know you out. Listen, and Kevin is in mid-season form. Kevin's looking at quick. Come on, hurry up, bring it back so I can get it. Turn the microphone on. <laughs> yeah, done. I was. Yeah, we waited for we waited for Ben to do the slide in back into the uh, the chair there. But no. Uh, again, Ben, we we've talked a lot about your book. One week from today, I know people have been able to pre-order it. I uh, still can do that, but one week from today. It will be available uh, for folks to uh, have in their physical possession and, uh, and and pick up and and have as their own. I am extremely humbled about uh, this project. Uh, the thing about it is when you're getting ready to write a book, it takes on a life of itself. I mean, me and BJ, I mean, I appreciate BJ beyond belief when you're talking about having, you know, having a book that, you know, you're telling a lot of stories within one story. You get a chance to know about me. There, there are a lot of people who know of me, and I thank God for that. Going to the University of Florida changed my life back in 2000, but there's so much more to my story, and I think that's what you're going to get from this. A lot of people, places, and things that, you know, from dirt roads to paved roads, from, from uh, you know, from small buildings to skyscrapers, it's just a lot of different I look for I look I I am most proud of the fact that there are going to be people reading about the book that don't know they're a part of it, and they're gonna say, "Wait a minute!" They're gonna be phrases that they told me, different you know little little gems that they gave me along the way. But telling my story, my parents' story, me and my dad's story, uh, just trying to figure out who you are identity wise. Am I just gonna be known as a football player, or am I willing to you know uh you know uh you know develop who I really am away from the game? It's a lot of trials and tribulations, but a lot of triumphs as well. But, yeah, uh, this time next week, I mean, I'm, you're going to be able to have these physical copies. If you haven't gotten your copy yet, <clears throat> uh, go to beingtroop84.com. And uh, if you go right now, you know, uh, you know, you, you get the first book for $1,000, you get the second book for $1,000. No, I'm just – no, no. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, I, I, am pl- I am playing. Definitely go to beingtroop84.com to pick up your copy. But I say this all the time. My life is a dream, but I get to live it. My life is both perception and reality at the same time. 
you know, my life would have been just fine with being just fine. Well, I would have been just fine with it being just fine. God saw something different. It's just like back in 2016 when I was inducted into the Florida Georgia Hall of Fame. You know, I always say that things like this don't happen to people like myself, but I thank God that uh, he made a fool out of me. I thank God for BJ and everybody involved. But, yeah, man, go to BenTrueRated4.com, pick up your copy, Uncommon and Unfinished, the Ben Troop store. You are, you are going to be pleasantly surprised. And, hey, man, it's going to be it's gonna be a lot of things in there, man. You know, a country boy with big city dreams is trying to make this thing happen. And BJ had the uh, the opportunity to decipher all the Ben Troop stories. and. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? Oh, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. That's BJ, the one you, you know, had to BJ, was... quote, had to become me. BJ, you, you have to tell the world what it was like doing that. But I will say this. BJ is a night owl. BJ will send me a draft of, uh, of uh, you know, Chapter 6 at 2 o'clock in the morning and text me right back and say, did you read it? No, because I am sleeping. <laughs> I will hit you back in the morning. But, no, man, it's the greatest. It's one of the greatest processes in the world. To so anybody that ever wanted to write a book, understand this. It is not the writing. And BJ will attest to this. Well, well BJ might not attest it because he wrote it. It would be the editing part. So semicolons and commas and declarative statements, that stuff means things. That's not a question mark. That's an <laughs> exclamation point. But to see it come to the – to see it come to the – I gave BJ something yesterday that I was very, very proud of. It's, you know, BJ let me know that we are all intertwined with each other's destiny, whether we know it or not. It's, the quicker we embrace those things, the farther along we'll be. But, yeah, Uncommon and Unfinished, the Ben True Story, it is out. I hope I, I hope the people that read it are as proud to read it as I was as making it with BJ. So, yeah, man, go get your copy, man. It's, you should be – you hopefully you'll be pleasantly surprised. Yeah, and I, man, I'm still reacting to. I wasn't aware of the uh, buy one for a thousand, get one for. Well, yeah, that's that's that's, <laughs> that's, a, that's a, I'm trying. I'm trying. I, I, I love I love the fans, man. Go out there and get you one, man. Throw that. That's that's that. That's some Kevin Thomas prices. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I mean it was, man. I mean I've told you this, man. I love you. It was it was it was incredible. It was humbling to be able to do it with you, and so special. But when I think about kind of your frame of reference and and what the process was of. I'm at the University of Florida now. I'm I'm one of the most high-profile college football players in the country, but I'm also 18, 19, 20 years old. And, you know, I just caught a game-winning touchdown pass to beat the University of Georgia in one of the best rivalry games in all of college football. And then I got to get up, you know, the next couple of days, go to school. You know, I, there's there's so much I'm dealing with and, and, and doing. And then I blink and I'm in the National Football League. And – these expectations, this pressure, you know, how do you handle it on the field, off the field? And then, you know, your philanthropy, your volunteerism, your passion, your family, uh, it, 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 you're a remarkable person and it's an incredible story. And again, yeah, Ben Troop 84.com. It'll be released one week from today. Uh, also Amazon, Barnes and Noble books, a million Google books, target. Uh, so we're really excited about that, but get you uh, an autographed copy. If you order Ben Troop 84.com. Uh, but but Ben, it's uh, it's 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 been years in the making. Uh, excited about it, and uh, one week from today, yep, it'll be it, it, it'll be out. I know we've talked about that a while, and I'm excited to uh, to see what what's in there amongst the pages. I don't, I, I, <laughs> will, like, will Kevin read it? Well, <laughs> then they don't actually have an answer to what was the last book you read. Yes, I, will, I have an answer. Listen, if I could get listen, if I if I got to bribe Kevin Thomas to give him to read my book, I am more than willing to do that. <laughs> More than willing to do that. <laughs> hey, I'm hey, I'm 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 gonna read it. I, I don't want I don't want I don't want miss I don't want the missus saying, Kevin, what are you doing? No, I'm just reading Ben's book. Why? She'll probably come. <laughs> she'll probably come take. Are there pictures in it? I mean, I'm no. I, I I will probably she'll probably come take my temperature and make sure I'm okay. But no, I will read it. <laughs> Why are you saying I'm not gonna read it? That's uh, I will read this. Hey, he's gonna read it while enjoying a vegetable medley. So yes, a salad. <laughs> yes. Hey, uh, 
Hey, with a with a nice vinaigrette uh, on the side. Yes. No. I will read Ben's book. One week from the day, I will get my copy. I will bring it in for everyone to see, and I will read it. I'll read it during the show. Hour three coming up next, three and out, Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you here at three and out on this Tuesday. Kevin, BJ, and Ben, a lot to get to, including what are we overreacting to two weeks in, underreacting to uh, two weeks in here in the football season. But uh, obviously a lot of uh, reactions Mostly negative on the Falcons and Jags in week one. Do we expect a jump in production heading into week two from both of those teams? Or is there just so much work to be done to get them right, it might take another week or two? I think another week or two probably makes sense for the Falcons. Why? Because they play the Bucks in Tampa, okay? Um, what Atlanta kind of put forth in week one was a major disappointment to me, to all of us. Offensively, you couldn't do anything, couldn't block anybody, couldn't throw the ball. Uh, playmakers couldn't get couldn't get open downfield, couldn't run the ball, couldn't get any pressure, couldn't make any plays defensively. And I, I, I think that will be an abnormality. I think this Atlanta team will be productive on offense. You knew there might be a little bit of a learning curve with a new system. Defensively, I don't have a ton of optimism that there's going to be dramatic change, but I still think you have young guys who are going to get better with more experience. But, Kevin, to your phraseology, I don't think we see a dramatic jump in week two because you played the Bucks. Now, if you come out and you beat the champs and you beat Brady, uh, you will make national headlines and you'll be one of the teams of the weekend. But if I had to bet, I would say the Atlanta improvement, which I do think is coming, is coming a couple of weeks down the line. Now, I do think it's an interesting game for Jacksonville because Jacksonville has the Broncos coming to town. And, uh, you know, Denver maybe okay, not a great team. That's a pretty long trip to come basically cross country from, you know, from Colorado. They had a big to, win in week one. To Jacksonville, right. But you also have Jerry Judy injured. He's not going to be out there. And Jacksonville now has – some familiarity with playing on the big stage, right? Head coach Urban Meyer, never done it. Never done it. Trevor Lawrence, never done it. And now I think your head coach and quarterback at least have some experience. I expect Jacksonville to be a little better. I do think Atlanta is going to be much better than they showed on Sunday. But, I, Ben, I don't know about I don't know about this weekend. I do expect Atlanta to make a huge jump because they didn't get in the end zone. Any, any, anything <laughs> in the end zone is a huge improvement. That is, that's not a high bar, Ben. But, but, but the reason, and another reason why I expect them to make a jump is, is I expect you know Matty Ice to kind of have you know uh, that same relationship with Arthur Smith that uh, Tom Brady has with Bruce Arians. Dude, just, just trust that I know what I'm doing. Like, I've been here a long time. I got a regular season MVP. I got a Super Bowl appearance. I know how to get the best, you know, uh, even even out with a shaky offensive line. And I just think that – but the thing that scares me about Atlanta is they still got to find a way to stop the run. They still got to find a way to stop the pass. They still got to find a way to get pass rush. This defense was bad. If Philly would have done nothing but run the football, the end result would have been the same. I saw Matty Ice on Sunday – Dive for a third and ten. He dove for a first down. He dove. Matty Ice. That's how bad he's trying to get a not a win, a first down. And guess what happened the next play? They got stuffed on fourth and one because they can't run the ball. But I do expect Atlanta to make a jump because I think Matty Ice is really, really good. 
And people talking about Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay, I mean, yeah, they're they defending world champs. But when you play a team in your division, you just understand, you know, what they want to do. I mean, they're going to have to <clears throat> get to that quick passing game because JPP and Shaq, you know, uh, you know, uh, Shaq and those guys, Shaq Barry and those guys, they guys, those guys are going to be coming, not to mention, you know, uh, uh, you know, Levante David and Devin White. As far as, like, as far as Jacksonville, you know, use James Robinson in the running game a little bit more. I understand. You don't have to prove the worth of these number one overall picks by letting them throw the ball all the time. He's the number one overall pick regardless. You don't – how teams don't make – teams don't make it, you know, uh, or a quarterback doesn't make it throwing the ball 50-something times. Nobody's going to make it that way. 50-something times in one game, that's a lot of throws. That's way – that's really two games worth of throws. 35 is the magic number. 35 throws in a, in a, in a, in a game is enough to, uh, to continue to have that balance. But does Urban Meyer adjust from week one to week two? Does Urban Meyer understand that this, that ain't Penn State? That ain't Michigan State? The Denver Broncos, they're going to be down Jerry Judy. But guess what? Bradley Chubb, Von Miller in that defense. They gonna they gonna try to they gonna try to wreak havoc in that backfield. So I do I still expect Jacksonville uh, to make some strides in Week One. I mean people gonna look at the end result, but I do I do expect both Atlanta and Jacksonville to make some strides. It's just Matty Ice is gonna be the reason why with uh, with Atlanta and with uh, Jacksonville it's gonna come down to Urban Meyer. I think as we get you know get back to the Falcons here. I mean the bottom line is Jalen Mayfield has nowhere to go but up. But how much better is he gonna get Week One to Week Two? I, I, and again you say well what. I mean, if you can't block for Matt Ryan, it's going to be a long afternoon. And I know you're playing the defending champs, but again, he got abused by one of the, again, the great defensive linemen there in, in Philly. But uh, how much better can he get in one week along that offensive line? How much can you adapt your scheme in one week to help him out? Is it just, hey, you just look up and down the line and say, whatever we got to do, Jalen Mayfield's always getting a double-team help. Uh, to, to, to keep people off Matt Ryan, if that's what you got to do, maybe. But I, I have serious questions about the offensive line. And, again, if you have no time to get rid of the football, that, that puts Matt Ryan obviously at a huge disadvantage uh, in the pass game. And, and again, I, I, I look at the Falcons' defense. While they were okay, I, I didn't see anything that made me go, wow, this thing's going in a, in a positive direction where, uh, again, as Ben said, I think he had one sack on the day, I mean, which – Again, at times during the Dan Quinn era, one sack would have been just roughing up the quarterback uh, in a game. But, but, but that's not going to get it done, uh, obviously. And now you're playing Tom Brady, who prides himself on getting the ball out quick. And you've got very young players at the cornerback spots. A, uh, a rookie uh, safety who you drafted hadn't played a whole lot of uh, football. I, I, I have concerns about this Falcons team right now. And again, I wonder if some of this couldn't have been addressed two weeks ago uh, rather than last week? Well, I go back to the offensive line, and I know it's easy to kind of focus on on Jalen Mayfield with some of the advanced stats, and they were not good, obviously, with his performance. But I think you look at the offensive line overall, and that's where a lot of my concern comes into play. And it's not just because the group hasn't been good. And, Ben, you mentioned you couldn't convert – you know, the third downs, you couldn't convert, you know, convert fourth and one or whatever. But it's also because you've invested a lot of draft equity in the offensive line. You think about Jalen Mayfield, you drafted him in the third round. Okay, that's a guy that you expect to, you know, play pretty successfully and prominently. You drafted Matt Hennessy, your, your starting center, in the third round. And then go back a couple of years, Ben, we were in Nashville. You drafted not one, but two offensive linemen in the first round 
in Caleb McGarry and Chris Lindstrom. So you've really focused the last couple of years, your draft equity on the offensive line, and it hasn't gotten better. And in some ways, it's gotten worse. So I know we all like to talk about Matt Ryan and Kyle Pitts and Calvin Ridley and Russell Gage and who's the running back. I mean, as numerous teams in college will show, will show you, if you cannot block at the point of attack, some of that doesn't matter. So I think Atlanta's got to get a lot better along the offensive line, and it's not just Mayfield in my mind. It's really collectively the entire group. When people talk about the word protection, when they think about pass protection, it's not just about pass protection for the for the guy uh, behind you. It's about protecting your weakest link. That's what protection – it's called protection. We got to protect the guy who is not as good at what he does, especially since he's never done it. And we also got to look out for that, you know, for our franchise behind us. Atlanta, Atlanta doesn't lack talent. Atlanta lacks execution. You got to execute. And that's what you see across the board. There was no, there was no offensive creativity for the Atlanta Falcons in week one. None. Zero. Kyle Pitts had a whopping four catches for 31 yards. Who cares? It, it doesn't mean anything if you're not putting points on the board. For the defense, did the defense blitz? Yes, they didn't get there. Did the defensive line rush? Yes, they just didn't get there. Is the, is the, is the, is the, is the back four playing that is collective unit? Yo, the back four got the players one just like the front seven got the players one. Deion Jones, if you can hear me, you're going to have to learn to get off of blocks and make tackles. And if you cannot, it is going to be a long year. So, yes, BJ, it is offensive line. But, look, the great thing about blaming football is a lot to go around. <laughs> if you didn't win, it's everybody. It's not just one thing. One one group may stand out more than the next. But yeah, but, Ben, I mean, I, look, when, you, when I look at the Falcons, though, and you, I, you look at teams and say, okay, we didn't win. Like, I – Case in point, you look at the, the, the Ravens last night. Okay, there's some things they didn't do well. That's correctable, right? How do you correct horrendous pass blocking in a week? You know, I mean, so, okay. and again, a guy who's, I, getting, I, okay, now, who's getting smoked on okay, every snap. Listen, listen, I, yeah. Okay, now, you got, listen, listen, you got, you got, you got, you got three kind of passing games. You got the quick game, you got the intermediate game, and you got the downfield pass game. Down the field is gone. Zero, can't, 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 can't do five-step drops, nope. Intermediate, well, I mean, he might get hit again. Quick pass the game. You know what quick pass the game means? Three-step drops as well as, as well as screen games. You got Matty Ice. He's seen it all, done it all, dealt with it all. He's dealt with an okay alpha's line, and now he's dealing with what he's dealing with now. And that's what scares me the most about, about you know, when you're trying to put together a team, you got to put together a team to, to protect your greatest asset. That is Matty Ice. You gave him Kyle Pitts. That's another weapon. That's not protecting him. So, yes, they can get to the intermediate. I mean, get to the uh, quick pass game and, the inter- and uh, hopefully they can advance to the intermediate and the, and as well as the uh, and as well as the uh, screen game. But it's just one week. Every single week of football, the test is on Sunday. You get to go, you get to show what you've done throughout the course of the week. But even if the offense looks stellar, who's going to rush the passer? Who's going to stop the run? Stopping the run makes it so that you make a team one dimensional in order to throw the football. And the problem is. Did you see Antonio Brown week one? Did you see Gronk? Those boys are looking good already. <laughs> so, I mean, but I'm optimistic. It is week one. I'm a, you're going you're gonna to overreact no matter what, but I do think you can be optimistic from a standpoint of when you're playing a, a team in your division, you understand what their strengths and weaknesses are, but unfortunately they know what your strengths and weaknesses are, but that's why you go out there and play. Got to see. I mean, BJ, as you said, the, the, those two things, pass block or just blocking in general and getting after the quarterback are two things that they've tried and tried and tried to fix. I don't know that they're correctable in a week uh, after looking bad again. Maybe they are, but I, I don't have a lot of confidence in what Atlanta is going to do in week two here against Tampa Bay.
Yeah, and I kind of think to a certain extent, as you mentioned, it, it 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 is what it is. I mean, along the offensive line and 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 with your defense. And I do think there are certain players who are young who are benefiting from experience who will improve. But I mean, just being honest, there aren't very many superstars on the defense, right? I mean, you can look at just about, you know, any other team, most teams in the NFL and say, okay, we know for a fact these couple of guys are gonna be there for us every single Sunday. And I, I think Grady Jarrett's there. I think, I, I think Grady Jarrett's there, but after that, I think it's kind of a rotation. It's been some guys you know, here, there, and, and you haven't been able to have that consistency. So I'm with you. We know how Atlanta has to win games. Atlanta's going to have to outscore people through the passing game. They're going to have to do that, but you do have to have modest success at the things you're bad at pass blocking, pass rushing. And I think just how modestly you improve or don't improve, will determine how far this team goes. Yeah, we'll see if maybe we're just overreacting or just the appropriate amount of, uh, of anger at what the Falcons did. We'll get to overreactions, underreactions coming off of week two when we return. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you here. Three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Want to get a little overreaction or underreaction from uh, from week two and some things that we've seen carrying uh, throughout the first couple of weeks of the football season. So I will give you and Ben a statement, and you will say whether we are overreacting or whether we are underreacting to what has been taking place there in college football. Let's start with the ACC. Off to a rough start in some of the prime national games, but do have some out-of-conference wins of note, a la Pitt over uh, Tennessee. Uh, overreacting? Or underreacting? I think we're probably underreacting. I mean, it's been a really bad start, really bad. And fan, I mean, if this would have been the Pac-12 that had done this, you know, everybody'd be going, "Oh, it's terrible." And I know you have some of that, but guys, look, your best team, and I get it, I get it, but your best team didn't score an offensive point in, a, you know, a touchdown in the opener against Georgia with Clemson. If you want to look at some of your other high-profile brand-name programs, Florida State just lost to an FCS team, a good FCS team, but an FCS team in a game where they were not playing prevent defense at the finish. Uh, NC State, who a lot of people had high expectations for, just played probably on paper, going back to the preseason, a team that was 10th or 11th or 12th in the SEC got beat by two touchdowns. North Carolina was preseason top 10. I know they lost to an ACC team, but preseason top 10 and you, you lose in your opener. Uh, you think about Miami. I, I, I can appreciate a win over Appalachian State, but a lot of people don't, don't like how you looked in that game, and then you were blown out by Alabama. Even you know other teams around the league. Syracuse just lost to Rutgers. Georgia Tech lost to Northern Illinois. I, I, I think we're underreacting. It's been a really bad start. It is, it is an underreaction because I think sometimes we forget the fact that, like, okay, when you start talking about the P5, I mean, who's the second best P5 conference in, you know, uh, you know amongst? And, I, and I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to go with the ACC. I think sometimes, BJ, though, sometimes you could be a little overwhelmed, right? Like, what got everything off schedule was Clemson. If Clemson wins, even if everything else happens, people think everything's good because Clemson won. But when Clemson loses, then when North Carolina loses Virginia Tech, what's going on? Then when Miami get the doors blown off them, then it's a problem. But one team has to keep everybody else on schedule. The pilot, every every conference, every conference has a pilot, and the pilot for the ACC is Clemson. 
You know, when Clemson like, hey, man, why we ain't left yet? The, the flight is delayed because Clemson got beat. And everybody kind of goes, oh, God, what's going on? Forget who they got beat by. Forget the fact they got beat by arguably the best defense in college football, one of the greatest we've ever seen. So, yes, it is a, it is, it is a, it is an underreaction, you know, uh, you know, because I think sometimes when you start talking about the, the ACC, we're still trying to, you know, put our finger on just how good this conference can be. But, hey, Kevin, at the end of the day, it is two games. But it's good. But I will say this. People say Jackson – well, I know we're probably going to get to Jacksonville State and Florida State. You just can't have certain things are inexcusable, but – Pitt, Pitt winning against Tennessee, but, you know, North Carolina State getting that thing put on by Mississippi State. You know, you you just can't you, – you haven't had a good weekend as a whole from the entire conference yet. All right. What about Georgia Southern? Their offensive start as a team. Obviously put up some points against Gardner-Webb, but could not score late to put that away. Had to get some defensive help there. And then, of course, last weekend at FAU. All this with, obviously, guys who were not expected to be the starter. You get Justin Tomlin back. Are we overreacting, underreacting to Georgia Southern's start offensively? I think maybe maybe a little bit of an overreaction when you think about, you know, you haven't had Tomlin, you haven't had J.D. King. Uh, and, yes, the, the, the game against Gardner-Webb was closer than you would like uh, for it to have been, but you still won. And I think you're sitting here at one and one, and I understand the, the, the final tally. The result was, of course, not what you wanted against Florida Atlantic. But I also think you got to appreciate – that Florida Atlantic last year had a top 10 defense. I don't know that a lot of people know that. They were top 10 in the country in scoring defense last year. And again, you play them on the road without your starting quarterback, without your starting running back, and with two true freshmen or two freshmen playing quarterback, I think some of the struggles are a little bit understandable. So, of course, you wanted to beat Gardner-Webb in a convincing fashion. Of course, you wanted to, you know, be competitive and, and and be in the game late, which you were not against Florida Atlantic. But I still think there's a lot of football left. You haven't had some of your key guys. I think a little bit of an overreaction. I still think it's an underreaction, BJ and Kevin. I, I because when you when you when you look at the fact that BJ, Georgia Southern fans might be in naive land right now. You talking about the fact they didn't have Tomlin? We don't know what Tomlin can do because we haven't seen him do it in a Georgia Southern uniform. When you start thinking about the fact that this is a team that still has not progressed with the passing game, and what, what, and Georgia Southern loses every time they don't rush for two hundred yards. Every and every and and then when they rush for two hundred, they win those games. So if Georgia Tech isn't being efficient at what they're known for doing, and they and they don't spend enough time focusing on what they're not good at doing that's throwing the football and Tomlin is supposed to be the guy but you don't even but you don't even know what that means. Does that mean he just runs the offense better as far as like, you know, the option or does that mean he gives you a better shot throwing the football? You don't know. So I think it's an underreaction because because Georgia Southern they think that it's gonna just uh get better. What what on the horizon will make them think that? It's probably gonna get even uglier down the stretch. All right. What about uh, Urban Meyer's NFL debut? Are we overreacting or underreacting to that? I mean, I I think I think probably overreacting, probably, and I mean I'm I'm you know, I've done it too, but look, you started a a a number one overall pick, obviously, but a rookie at quarterback. And I, I saw some sort of stat. I, I should have I should have uh, written it down when I saw it, but it was talking about the debuts of of quarterbacks who were number one overall picks and started in game one. And Ben, you've talked about this, and I think their record was something like four and twenty two. Okay, and a very, very young team. Not only not only are you playing a lot of guys you just drafted, but people forget in the last month 
you traded away a Pro Bowl linebacker in Joe Schobert, and you traded away one of your starting cornerbacks in Sidney Jones. You couple that with being on the road with a head coach that's never been in the NFL and a number one overall pick who was making his debut with a team where there just aren't many players over 25 years old. I think some of it's understandable, so I'll say overreaction. Yeah, I'll say I'll say a bit of an overreaction. I mean, it, it's because it's Urban Meyer. I mean, you got a bunch of people rooting for him. You're gonna have a bunch of people hoping that he loses every single game. But it is an overreaction because people just thought because it's, it's uh, Urban Meyer, he's gonna be able to flip the, uh, flip the switch because he got Trevor Lawrence and you know it's the it was quote the Texans. And I'm like, y'all saying it's the Texans like y'all not the Jaguars like well, like what <laughs> no, like get out of you won one game so. Yeah, it is It is a bit of an overreaction. He's going to learn as he goes. I mean, rookie quarterbacks, just like rookie head coaches, got to learn the game as the game comes to them. Just because of what you've done enough to warrant uh, the position you're in based on how you coach and how you played. But, yes, it is an overreaction to Urban Meyer. Urban, Urban Meyer is going to always have more of an overreaction because of who he is, not necessarily what he's doing. All right, overreaction or underreacting to the Falcons' O-line performance. I know we uh, put a lot of uh, time railing against it last segment. Are we just overreacting to it? It was bad. We move on to week two. Or are we underreacting uh, to, to how bad that was? No, I think there's been an underreaction because it sets the tone for everything, right? I mean, we the fantasy footballization of consuming football has made us like only look at quarterbacks, running backs, and wide receivers on offense. It's like, oh, passing yards, rushing yards, receiving yards. Well, that starts somewhere. It starts along the offensive front. And uh, you know, you don't talk about offensive linemen a lot. You don't break down the depth chart. There aren't stats to consume. But when Matt Ryan's getting, you know, Ben, you said he's having to run for his life and stretch out for first downs. And, he's, and you know, guys are getting just, just blown off the ball and, the you know, snap after snap. You can't do anything. It doesn't matter what Calvin Ridley can do. It doesn't matter what Kyle Pitts can do. Matt Ryan is a quarterback of this team. He may be a Hall of Famer, and you didn't score a touchdown in week one. I think this is a major issue. So I don't think there's been enough of a reaction to what we saw. It's, 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 it's very much an underreaction. Matty Ice had 164 yards, and he threw the ball 35 times, and he had zero touchdowns. Matt Ryan threw the ball 35 times, and, and, that's, and, that's, and that's barely getting the ball off. And don't even get me to the run game. Your best running back is a receiver. <laughs> Cordell Patterson led your team in rushing. Look, I understand <laughs> – I understand sometimes when it comes to the offensive line, they're going to get all the blame and none of the praise. That's, that's, just, that's just how it goes. But they didn't play well. And the foundation of the Falcons has to be the offensive line. And, two of the, and you got three first-round picks on that offensive line. I don't care who's playing out of position or never did it. You got to get it done. So, yes, it is an underreaction because that bad is, 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 is being nice to what yep. I saw on Sunday. I'm going to stay there and go to the other side of the ball. Are we overreacting or underreacting to the Falcons' defensive play, which everyone knew had to improve if this team was going to get better? I think a little bit of an overreaction because you kind of knew what we were going to see, right? I mean, this wasn't a star-studded unit entering the season. So to expect, you know, dramatically uh, uh, dominant performances, that's not realistic. And we've seen this defense for a couple of years now. You're not going to hold teams to fewer than 20 points. You're not. You just, you just haven't invested the, you know, the, the, the equity on that side of the ball. You've built up an offensive juggernaut. And defensively, you've tried to piece it together. So it is what it is. Uh, I, I, I don't think that it's fair to have high expectations just given the youth and, you know, the lack of superstars on the group. So I think that's been a little bit of an overreaction. 
Of course, an overreaction because we was lying to ourselves thinking that this defense was going to be any good. We've seen Atlanta for a long time. The last time I think they had a pro bowler at the defensive end position, I think his name was John Abraham. You know who they had since then? Asiyemi Yura, Dwight Freeney. Uh, not, now now Dante Fowler Jr. is supposed to be the savior. Dante Fowler Jr. had double-digit sacks not because he's Dante Fowler, because he was right beside Aaron Donald. I mean, Darren Donald's getting double-teamed in every play. So, yes, it is an overreaction because the only thing that leads to disappointment is expectation. Maybe we need to change the expectation of this defense, Kevin and BJ, because we know what they're going to do. They're going to look bad. Not <laughs> even average, but bad. So, yes, it's an overreaction for thinking they was going to do anything more. And finally, one more to go before we talk uh, Alabama and Florida next segment. Are we overreacting or underreacting to Anthony Richardson's QB play there at Florida in sparing minutes? In two ball games, a lot of talk that maybe he should start against Alabama. I think there's been kind of an underreaction. I know, I know, within Gator Nation, there's you know there've been some talk, but I don't think around the country people are fully appreciating what this young man has done. And you're right, Kevin. It's been limited opportunities, and I understand that starting a game, you know, at Florida in the SEC is different than coming off the bench and making plays. But I got a story up on uh, Anthony on Southern Pigskin right now. He is averaging 17.5 yards per pass attempt, 32 yards per pass completion, and 25 yards per rush. I mean, in terms of opportunities made the most of, he's the most exciting player in college football. Uh, like, every time he touches the ball, it's a 30-, 40-yard gain. He has a couple of, what, 60-plus-yard touchdowns already, I think three or four. got to see more of this young man. I'm not saying he has to start but I don't think there's been enough of a, an appreciation for what he's done around college football. I th- it's, it, it is a, it is a, it is an overreaction uh, when it comes to, uh, when it comes to Anthony Richardson because for everything you just said, BJ. But I just think sometimes you know time and place matter. Who you played ha- has a lot to do with how you played. And the thing about Florida, they benefited from the first two teams that they played. FAU ain't world beaters, and USF was like, hurry up and get this the hell over with. We're trying to get up <laughs> out of here. We don't want to deal with it. I like what Anthony Richardson brings to the table. But Emory Jones, the curious case of Emory Jones is like, what in the world? Like, Emory Jones is not in rhythm right now. Anthony Richardson is exciting. But this is the thing about excitement. Can you maintain four quarters of excitement? Are you going to be able to run away from guys in four quarters? Anthony Richardson is a matter of – so I would say it's a bit of an overreaction. I do think understanding what the scheme – if I've seen the guy in front of me not play well and I understand what the expectation is of me, I can go out there and play better. But when I am the expectation and there is nobody coming in for me, how would I play? So I do think it's a bit of an overreaction, but we will learn a lot about Anthony Richardson if and when they do let him play on Saturday against Alabama. And speaking of that, we will come back. We're talking Florida and Alabama. Huge game in The SEC, a rematch of the SEC championship game from a year ago. We'll break it down next here on 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Here on 3 and Out on this Tuesday afternoon, we are counting down the days to week three of college football. And in the SEC, of course, you're starting to get into some conference play games, Georgia and South Carolina, but none bigger, at least early on, than Florida hosting Alabama. And Florida trying to, again, relive some of the magic they had in the SEC championship game from a season ago. Uh, set themselves up, but a huge test for Dan Mullen and company early. And, oh, by the way, Bryce Young is off to one of the best starts an Alabama quarterback has had. So there's that. Or is it the best start? Yeah, and, and, and Ben, obviously I'll defer to you here, but I have kind of a sneaky feeling about this game, okay? Where, oh, no. Where, no, no, I'm just saying, look, we're talking about the game. I'm just saying Alabama – 
is clearly the, obviously, it goes without saying, the preeminent program in the country. But I think you're still talking about a young team with a lot of kind of new faces. And I think Florida's better than people appreciate. Now, I'm not sitting here and calling for the upset on a Tuesday, so everybody calm down. What I'm saying is I think this game has the chance to be a lot more competitive than a lot of people think because some of the early you know talk I've seen on social media is, oh, Alabama's going to win this one 44 to 10. And I don't, I don't get that sense. First and foremost, you mentioned it, Kevin. Florida played with Alabama, albeit with some with some different players, but played with Alabama a year ago, and I, I I think that matters. I do think having confidence. Okay, now I'm getting now I'm zoomed in on because I have a sneaky feeling about the game. I do think having having confidence that you can go toe to toe with those guys that matters. And Florida's really good defensively. I like the playmakers in the secondary, and I think this offense has big playability. And you go back to the last three teams to beat Florida to to, to beat Alabama. You have Auburn in the Iron Bowl a couple of years ago. They scored 48. LSU a couple of years ago scored scored 46. And Clemson back in the playoffs scored 44. Well, So you have to have a big play offense. Right now, Florida's third nationally in offense in college football. They're averaging 610 yards passing or total yards per game. 610 yards and they're number one in college football in rushing offense. I think Anthony Richardson is a player to keep an eye on here. And Alabama hasn't lost in what? like 15 or 16 games, I just have Gainesville. All I'm saying, Ben, is early in the week, I have a sneaky feel about this game. I'm not picking Florida to win, but I will say early in the week, I do not think this is going to be a blowout. Not too sneaky of a feeling, then. Well, I'm saying the the line is what? What did we the line is 16 or 17? I do not think this is going to be a blowout. The one thing that Florida has on their side is they got they they can run the football and that's gonna and that's gonna uh, keep them in the game. Emory Jones is not playing uh, quality football right now. Anthony Richardson, why he's been a spark? That's what that's what that's what uh, a guy coming off the bench is supposed to do. The one thing Florida does has uh, also on their side defense is playing well. D line is playing well. You're gonna have to find a way. I mean, Kyrie Elam, they're gonna have to put him on John Mechie and say, look, man, it's gonna be you and him. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a dog fight. You know, uh, every single play. You're gonna have to ask that defensive line to be able to generate pressure on Bryce Young, get him off his spot and see if the young man, you know what I'm saying, you know, see if he got ice water in his veins or or, or can he be rattled. But the thing about Alabama that scares you the most about Alabama is they do the small things well. The DBs, look, look, they're going to follow those receivers, those DBs for Alabama, they're going to follow those receivers, they're going to make them, they're going to follow those receivers with their uh, <clears throat> inside arm, they're going to play they're gonna play to their inside shoulder, and they're going to look back and force those receivers to make a play. I like what I've seen from Jacob Copeland. I like what I, you know, I like what I see from, you know, from Anthony Richardson. But for Florida, Florida's going to have to do what Georgia did against Clemson and not flinch. See, the thing about it is Alabama is the best team in college football. Alabama can be beat. They have been beaten. It just doesn't happen that often. So, in order to have you know a really, really, a really, really great effort, you got to tell every single guy you have to take pride in your matchup this weekend. It can't be oh somebody else going to do it. No, it has to be you. And Alabama is also the barometer. So, if you're Dan Mullen, who got a 1.5 million dollar extension, go out there and earn your money. And BJ, you talk about 44 to 10. Sometimes, if you're gonna, it's probably gonna be a loss for Florida. Let's call it what it is. It's how you look doing it. You don't want to go because B.J., Kyle Trash is gone. Kadarius Tony is gone. Grimes gone. Pitts gone. And I think when you look at being able to place those guys, I think they're finding a way to do it. But just like we don't know how good a team is when they play FAU, 
when they play USF, you're going to learn a lot about them. Is that is that just padding your stats, or are you really out there executing? So I do think – I do – I expect it to be a better game than people give it credit for, but the thing about Alabama is this. It comes down to this. Can you can you deal with them when they get to punch you in the mouth, play in and play out? Because 14-point leaf Alabama might as well be 60 because once they get <laughs> up, those guys go out there and they, 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 don't, they don't let up on you. It's true, and I think, again, that's the uh, you talk about the level of quarterback play uh, here with two new quarterbacks in this game, BJ, but I, I think if you look at the defensive side, the way Alabama has played early, it's, that, that could tell the tale. Uh, as well I know it's on the road in the swamp maybe that has a factor uh, that that we don't see but uh, again obviously if Dan Mullen wins this this would be a huge statement game uh, for him kind of sets up huge for the uh, the cocktail party but obviously if you're Florida I, I think you have to go out and compete I think it's kind of the everybody that's not Georgia or Clemson right now when you play Alabama it's like first off we want to go out there and compete and prove we belong on the field I think Florida kind of did that last year Ben but again you have different players there and does the program believe they can step on the field and compete with Alabama and, and put themselves in a position? It would be interesting to see how Florida responds at home uh, in the swamp against Bama. I agree. I think, I think, I think response is, uh, is the, the proper word. Sometimes, you know, people think, you know, uh, programs are equal because both are big-time programs. Look, do I, do, I think, do I think Alabama is a bigger brand in Florida? No. Do I think Alabama is the is the creme de la creme in Alabama, in our college football? Yes, because this is the thing that Alabama has established. When Alabama loses, everybody's shocked. Not just in the southeast, around the nation. Wait, who beat them? And every time Alabama wins, it's because look, you, and, you know, crazy things start happening. You know, guys getting interceptions out, you know, off off somebody's back, and all these different things. You know, you got to have uh, a Heisman type, you know, game if you got you know the Johnny Manziel's of the world, but. It can happen. And the thing about Nick Saban is this. He doesn't act as if his team can't be beat. He has a proven mentality. Prove you can beat us. Because if you can beat us, I mean, you know, we're here. We ain't running from nobody. You're going to learn a lot about Dan Muller. You're going to learn a lot about, you know, Ty Grantham and this defense. You're going to learn a lot about this offense as well. Because while Florida is running the ball efficiently, it's not against, a, it's not against the Alabama front. And that's what you like. My senior year, we go to LSU with an 18-year-old quarterback, and we beat him. LSU won the national championship that year. It's not because we were not the better team. We were just we just executed better. We forced LSU to be uncomfortable. That is the hardest thing to do with Alabama. Can you force them into an uncomfortable place and keep them there? Because that's what they do to you. They figure out what your weakness is and they expose it all game long. But I but look, I'm not making no excuses. Alabama was supposed to play Florida last year in the regular season. It didn't happen because that game, you know, uh, got pushed to this year. So you're gonna you're gonna see, what, you know, just what these mighty Gators are about. But no matter what, the, no matter what happens, I think Florida gonna have to be able to take withstand the onslaught, be able to get punched in the mouth and punch back. And hopefully, when the, when the fourth quarter come, you still got your Dukes in the air. You ain't just taking a beating at that point. I just think there are factors that kind of make this one interesting. You know, I, Alabama is is a team that is quite accustomed to just winning games by 30, 40 every week. And I do wonder with some inexperience at certain spots, if this one is, you know, 13 to six in the second quarter or, you know, 20 to 13 at the start of the third quarter, that's a little bit of a new reality for, for some of these guys with that unrelenting expectation and pressure. And I still think when Florida's good, as they are this year, the Swamp is one of the toughest places to play in all of college football. You mentioned, Kevin, that, you know, does the program believe? I think they do. I mean, Florida was six points away 
from beating Alabama last year in a year where they went undefeated and Mac Jones set the, the, the single-season passer rating record, and they had, what, seven or six or seven players from their offense alone drafted in the top 40? So I think Florida believes they can play with Alabama. It's at home. I think Anthony Richardson is an X factor. I think Florida's a lot better defensively. Can they win? That's a different question. But I think if 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 this game is close in the late in the third quarter and even in the fourth quarter, that will not surprise me. It would turn the college football world on its head if it goes Florida's way, certainly on Saturday afternoon into Saturday evening. Uh, that would be back-to-back weeks with Ohio State and then Alabama dropping a game, and you would already have Clemson out there with a loss. So you'd have your kind of preseason – Three of your top five already with a loss three weeks into the season with Oklahoma and Georgia saying, hey, we're in pretty good shape all of a sudden uh, here early on in this thing. We've got more to come here. It's three and out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network.